1: Co-worker of yours.
4: Sports Radio 94 WIP, I'm Tom Kelly with you, filling in for Big Daddy Graham on a Tuesday morning following July 4th weekend. Hope everybody had a nice holiday weekend. Uh, Hope it was relaxing. Hope you enjoyed yourself. Most people going back to work on Tuesday uh, as Monday was the observed day for 4th of July. So many people returning to work On Tuesday, and I hope everybody celebrated uh, safely over the weekend um, and had a good time. I was down the shore, as I talked about a little bit when I was on a few hours ago here filling in for the camera and Richie. But a nice weekend down the shore, uh, but ready to get back to work here as um, we start another week with the Phillies. Uh, as they are in Chicago, uh, this week as, um, they start a four game series with the Cubs and it got off to a nice start for the Phils on Monday night as they hammer the Cubs 13 to three, um, in what's a pretty important series. And really every series is important over the next couple weeks here. And I talked about it a few hours ago. We'll talk about it again tonight, you know, And it's going to be the main conversation dealing with the Phillies over the next couple weeks is obviously how should they proceed. But they end up winning this one 13-3, kind of a tight game for a while. Um, But the Phillies really explode in the eighth inning. Um, What was a 4-3 ball game, or a 4-2 ball game, rather. Uh, They're able to score six runs in the top of the eighth and really blow this game wide open. They score three more in the ninth as the Cubs have to go to a position player to come into pitch. And good win to start out the series as the Phillies are able to to beat up on the Cubs and get a win on the road, which is something they have struggled with mightily this year. You look at this team at home and the disparity between how well they played at Citizens Bank Park and really how poorly they have played everywhere else It's striking, but the Phil's able to get this win, move to 40 and 42. And, you know, as I mentioned, the big conversation over the next few weeks is going to be what should the Phillies do here as it's now July 6th, um, three and a half weeks about until the deadline. And I have made my opinions on this pretty clear uh, that I think when you look at this, this, situation that the Phillies are in. They remain four and a half out as the Mets also are able to win their game on Monday night. But I think the Phillies got to be really pragmatic here and realistic about what they are and what they are hoping to achieve. Because you can look at it and say, we're really in this thing. We, we make a couple moves and we can make a run. And win this division. And, uh, you know, a caller made the argument for that to me earlier today that that is a realistic hope for this team. And I'll get into that further in a minute, but I personally don't see it that way. Like, I see this team as one that has many flaws. When you look at why the Phillies are where they are, I believe it's an oversimplification to say, well... It's a bullpen issue. You look at all the blown saves. I think it's 22 blown saves. You cut that number in half, and they're comfortably in first place in the division. I, I don't really buy into that logic. Like You look at that, there's a lot of reasons why you blow saves that go beyond just the bullpen. Um, the bullpen's obviously been a problem, but hey, bad defense plays into that as well. Not being able to get timely hits not being able to rally back plays into that as well. Bad base running, you know, just sloppy baseball. That all kind of plays into why you are blowing so many leads. And it, it it's not just the bullpen. But the conversation I had with one caller in particular, I think his name was Anthony, called me, and he made a a, a compelling argument. For why the Phillies are just a few places, a few pieces away. And he talked about mainly that stat that the bullpen has blown so many games. And, you know, you look at the bullpen issues that this team has had over the last couple of years, and that if you just clean up that area of the team, things look dramatically different. As I said, I don't really see it that way. I think there is an issue more than anything with the core of this team you think back to 2019, you think back to that offseason when the Phillies made all those moves, the trade for Real Muto, the trade for Segura, the signing of Andrew McCutcheon, the signing of of Bryce Harper, that was supposed to immediately elevate them back into contention and, and not just hanging around a race in a bad division, but was supposed to elevate them back into being a perennial contender, a team that you could rely on to win, you know, 85 to 90 games every year. Clearly, that has not happened, and I look at that as more an indictment on the core of that team and the core of of what the Phillies tried to build through free agency, through trade in 2019, instead of doing it the conventional way, the conventional way of doing it in Major League Baseball and the way that's always been proven to be the most effective way of building a contending team is by doing it in-house, by building through your farm system. Look back at 2007 through 2011, which is really the only reference point that we have in the last, what, 30, 35 years for Philly success because they haven't been a very successful organization for long periods of time. And you look back at how they built That team and how they were able to start that run and open that window, it was through building in the farm system. Ed Wade was a guy who took a lot of heat during the mid-2000s for not going out and buying pieces at deadlines, going out and making maybe smaller moves instead of bigger moves. But in the end, he was right holding on to guys like Chase Utley and Jimmy Rollins and Ryan Howard and um you know whoever else you want to talk about call Hamels those 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 decisions paid huge dividends if you give up just one of those pieces your team probably falls apart and the Phillies were able to build that core through player development and through drafting and bringing players up through their own system and I personally just think I don't like the idea of building the way the Phillies decided to build through free agency, through trade. It typically doesn't work. But where I want to start tonight, and we can talk about buying or selling, and that's something we'll, I mean, I, I guarantee we'll talk about frequently over the next couple of weeks, because when you have a team kind of in the mix and where the Phillies are right now is, is, is odd, because I think there are two groups that see this team and whether they're truly in this race completely differently. Like, I see them four and a half out. And sure, four and a half games is, at this point in the season, not much. I mean, you can make up four and a half games in a week. But you need to sustain good play to do that. You need to be able to go on runs and really not just win nine out of ten games like Bryce Harper talked about last week, but you need to sustain it for longer than that to really maintain your spot in this race moving forward. And when you're in the kind of position the Phillies are in, you are in this limbo where you don't know what the right move is, where you could look to add and maybe make a run, or you could think more pragmatically in long-term, sell off a few of your pieces, and rebuild your farm system. I talked about earlier today, I'd have everybody on the table if I were the Phillies, because I think this is kind of like a fake contention that they're in right now and i don't think it really matters what they do at the deadline if they go out they improve the bullpen marginally if they go out at a starter or something like that add a bat to the outfield to be like a fourth outfielder or something of that nature like i don't think it would dramatically change the prospects of this team i think they are what they are and i don't think it matters who they add i don't think the phillies are winning this division i don't think they're going to the playoffs And I'm sure we'll continue to discuss that as these weeks play out. And part of it, the decision could be made for the Phillies. If they end up dropping out of the race, if they're back eight, nine games out, in a few weeks they might have to sell. If somehow they make a run and they're tied for the division lead at the end of the month, certainly I could see them buying at that point. But I want to make it a little more of a broader conversation than just that. You know, am I overcomplicating it when I say this is an issue with the team's core? Or do you think it is as simple as the caller that I spoke to yesterday made it seem? That this team really is a couple small tweaks away. That if you just add a couple pieces to the bullpen, everybody else can fall into their spots. Like a guy like Ranger Suarez, who is currently your most reliable reliever, instead of using him in a closing role, if you go out and you pick up a guy who can legitimately close, maybe then Ranger Suarez falls into a more suitable role, which is as like a lefty specialist in the 7th and 8th inning. And maybe then you don't have to be as overly reliant on Jose Alvarado in these high leverage spots where you're holding your breath every time he comes in. Maybe that takes more pressure off a guy like Hector Naris, where you can pitch him in less high leverage situations. Or Connor Brogdon, who – Connor Brogdon's a guy that's got good stuff, but every time you put him in a really big situation and you start to do that consistently, it seems to mess with his head a little bit. If you add another starter, maybe you can move a guy like Matt Moore to the bullpen, and I don't know, maybe Matt Moore can be more effective in that kind of role – than a guy that you need to rely on every fifth day. So we could talk about what the Phillies should do with the deadline, but I also want to talk about it in the broader sense. Is when you look at this team, do you side more with me that this is a core issue? That this is just not a very good baseball team, and it doesn't matter what they do with the deadline, they're not going to be a good baseball team? Or do you view it the other way? that it really is a couple small tweaks away. And that some of these smaller issues that the Phillies have create much larger problems. And when you have a bullpen in as dis- as in as much disarray as they are right now, and really as they have been the last couple years, it makes everything look significantly worse. And, like, I understand that viewpoint. I don't agree with it, Um, but I want to know how you feel about it. And, you know, we're not talking about the minor leagues here. We know the Phillies have issues in the minor leagues. We know the Phillies have issues developing players. They have for quite some time. But just as far as this major league roster is concerned, are the Phillies' problems as a whole small or are they large? Are they little things that create bigger problems? Or is there something wrong with the core of this team that is going to prevent them from ever reaching their potential? I'd love to get your take on it to start the show here. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. 215-592-9494 to join the show. We have many things that I want to get into throughout the course of the show. I had a fun side topic that we did on the midday show that I'll continue tonight. I'll introduce that a little later on because we had some fun with it, but uh, a lot of interesting things to get through throughout the course of the show. Dan Wilson producing, uh, the show tonight. Are you in all week, Dan, or are you just in tonight?
1: Uh, so I was in last night in tonight, but Mike will be back starting tomorrow. Ah, oh, <laughs> sorry to disappoint
4: there. It's unfortunate. Um, but what do you think, Dan? You're you're a baseball guy. I mean, uh, Locked On Phillies podcast. Correct? Yeah,
1: absolutely. Thanks okay. for the plug. Locked okay. On Phillies uh, on the Odyssey app, and uh, you know Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever
4: you get it. Now, I would like your take on this, Dan. As you look, and we could talk about the buy or sell thing throughout the course of the night, if you, if if you know as we go forward, and we will. But when you look at this team, the problems the Phillies have had forty and forty two. Do you think it's more of a core problem, or do you think it's some of these smaller things that all add up and create bigger things, and maybe you do make a couple small additions, everything kind of falls into place a little easier?
1: Yeah, I tend to side with you more so than the caller. I can understand the caller's viewpoint. I think it's a little simplistic to say, well, if they just had a competent bullpen, they would be better, because you can look at how many games they've blown. But they also have, like, the league's worst defense. I think they have, as of a few days ago, only one-plus defender in J.T. Muto. So they're giving away tons of outs. For, the, for a large part of the season, the offense has been well below league average. Like I think they're just a very – I think the overall organization is stuck in a sense because you have a core that is supposed to be good, and I just don't think this team is good enough or can be fixed in a trade deadline. Now, I tend to think that if they go on – I don't want to say a little bit of a run here, but if they're sitting where they are four and a half games out and they're sitting at that 500 mark – That you bring in Dave Dombrowski and he looks and sees year three of the Bryce Harper contract and year one of the Real Muto contract and where this team is. And I wouldn't be surprised if they do buy. I just don't think they can buy their way into the postseason. And even if they do, they're definitely not buying their way into World Series contention. Like maybe they'll, in the absolute best case scenario, if the ball really bounced their way in a second half, which I do not foresee at all, they could buy their way into the playoffs. But that's a first-round knockout at best against some much better team than you currently have. You're you're looking at a back end of the rotation that's really bad, a bullpen that's really bad, an offense that hit really well tonight but on the course of the season has not, and a really, really bad defensive team. Like That's more than just a couple of moves.
4: Yeah, and the one thing I'll say is, like, baseball, I do like the aspect of you get in and anything can happen. Like Oh, it's a
1: lot more random than, say, basketball, for instance. Right. Yeah. I
4: mean, look at just a couple years ago. The Nationals are you know, what was it, one out in the eighth inning going up against Hater. It looks like their season's over. They end up coming back and winning that game, and they go on to win the World Series. Like, we've seen it in 2011 with the best Phillies team of our lifetime where you get a bad matchup against the St. Louis a hot Cardinals team in the first round. You go out. Like, it is kind of random when you get to the playoffs, and that was also uh, kind of the argument is, like, you get in, and I know Noel hasn't pitched well this year, but if you do start a series, Wheeler, Nola, Eflin, maybe you'd have an opportunity to compete. But really, like like you said, if you're gonna buy the Phillies, just don't have the wherewithal to go out and make major moves. Like if you're gonna buy, it's going to be these kind of smaller pieces. It's really just a question of whether these smaller pieces can add up to making this team look significantly different. Now, I don't see it. No,
1: case. I don't. I don't see that either. Also, could you even imagine this team as it's currently constructed in the playoffs? Like. One of the, I think, most interesting things that maybe goes a little bit under the radar around here because it's been so long since the Phillies have been in the playoffs is just the overall difference in style of play, even in 10 years of how playoff games are managed now. Like, they go to, managers go to bullpens way earlier than they did even mm-hmm. early part of this decade. Like, if Nola got in a little bit of trouble in a fourth or fifth inning in a playoff game, you're asking for tons of bullpen innings and just, like, tons of high-leverage situations. This bullpen's more than a few moves away from succeeding in a playoff atmosphere but even if you fix the bullpen could you imagine like Alec Boehm playing third in a playoff game or Reese Hoskins playing first in a playoff game or like there's just so many like issue after issue after issue and I've seen them give away games in so many different ways and invent ways to lose in this season that going off against the Cubs at Wrigley or a nice series against the Padres this past weekend and flirting with 500 once again is not fooling me into thinking this team should go out and be big swingers at the deadline and try and go for it here.
4: Yeah, so that that's kind of the question I have to start the to show tonight. Are the Phillies' problems large or small? Because I do understand that argument where maybe you do just make a couple small t- tweaks, everything falls back into place. I don't see it that way, but as far as the major league roster, you know, we can, for the sake of this conversation, forget the minors. We know the Phillies' minor league system is – you know, in shambles for lack of a, of a better term, but the major league team right now, are there problems large when you look at the defense, as Dan was just pointing out, when you look at, you know, some of the offensive issues they've had and the bullpen, or is it really just a couple pieces away where if you added two to three bullpen pieces, legitimate bullpen pieces, not guys like Workman and Hembry and, and Phelps like last year who somehow made the problems you already had even worse. Um, But if you were to add two to three bullpen pieces here or a starter, whatever, would it make this team look significantly different? That's the question I have uh, to start the show as we look, because, you know, if this team were to buy and I am not on that side, but would it, would it change significantly how this team plays on a night to night basis? Curious to hear what you believe. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. 215-592-9494. I see our buddy Dave in Cherry Hill is on the line. We'll talk to Dave when we get back. And then you we got open lines uh to start the show tonight. We'll hear from Joe Girardi when we return um after a pretty solid Phillies win. One of the most solid wins that we have seen in quite some time. Um, and we'll hear from the skipper when we get back to one five five nine two nine four nine four. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio ninety four WIP. Sports Radio ninety four WIP. I'm Tom Kelly with you on a Tuesday morning. As we get back, it's always you know weird for everybody, I guess, going back into uh normal work and stuff after a, a holiday weekend, but it was nice, as I said, I was down the shore this weekend. Um, it was nice being back uh, in a, a situation where Fourth of July weekend and you can actually get together with people and and not feel bad about it and do it in a healthy and and safe way. and it was it was I mean, it was really active down the shore. I mean, going to the beach was just brutal, considering how crowded it was, um, but uh, yeah, it was a, a pretty good weekend. How was your weekend, Dan? What'd you do?
1: Everything was great. I was here uh, Saturday night, Sunday night, which, you know, no place I'd rather be, of course. No, that's, not,
4: that's not true. You don't need to
1: lie. No, I, I, I like coming in here on the, you know, put, putting in the uh, the late night hours, but I actually haven't been down the shore yet uh, this weekend, so at some point, or this summer, I should say, so I'm at some point I got to get there.
4: Yeah, I did. It was, I was talking about it a little bit, but I had to, I have to learn, like, all the stuff now, like, you have to put up, I have to, we have this big tent umbrella type thing, which you need to put up because at four months old, the kid can't get, can't oh, get Oh, really oh, so sun. you gotta be a little bit
1: more cautious than you were, say, just a few months ago, yeah.
4: Yeah, I mean, we put a lot of sunscreen on him, but me, my, my wife and I are both, like, 100% Irish, so it's like... So,
1: pale as could be, like, re- reapplying right. left and right, yeah.
4: And I don't want him to get burnt and everything, so I had to do that, and that, that you know, I have to learn how to do this stuff, because I'm not good with this kind of stuff, like, uh, you know, putting up a tent and, and things of that nature, and then uh, the fireworks, the fireworks kind of freaked him out a little bit. He was, I was gonna
1: ask, what, what did he think of the fireworks? Well,
4: yeah. well, they all went down to the beach to watch the fireworks. We stayed back, but it's like, it, the fireworks start at nine o'clock. He usually goes to bed at like te- at like eight thirty or so. Oh, they wake him up. Or... So he just, well, he just couldn't go to sleep during a lot of loud noises. Okay. and he was, he was just a- crying a little. So bit. It was a little
1: bit cranky. How were the fireworks as a whole? Are you a fireworks guy? I could see you going either way on this. Not no. really. That, not yeah, okay. really. You um, just
4: anti fireworks. You just don't seek them out. It's fine. I mean, they're fine. I, I'm not. I don't like hate fireworks or anything. Um, but I was never a huge fan, and now especially with a four-month-old, they're not really that. It takes a little
1: bit of the whatever enjoyment you had left. I'm the guy at fireworks. I, I, you know, I I channel my inner, like, dad moments where I'm like, hey, this is the finale like way too early just to, like, kind of piss my friends off and stuff. Like, you you have one in that, like, you have someone in your crowd that does that. No, me and my
4: friend never, me me and my friends never really went and, like, watched fireworks. I don't see, July 4th,
1: I usually would see them, but, like, other than that, I'm trying to think when else I would have seen them.
4: Yeah, I know. My friends and I, we we. We would get in, like... You were more... doing other things besides Yeah, fireworks. we were doing more po- problematic stuff. Oh, like, I, I understand. Yeah. Not the... setting
1: off fireworks yourself, even? No. No, okay. we weren't doing yeah, that. A lot of people did that in my neighborhood, just wherever. There's actually a pretty bad accident near where
5: I live. Oh, really? Uh,
1: where, yeah. Uh, so, you got to be careful with that stuff. But, no, yeah, I, I, I always like saying, hey, this is the finale way too soon, because sometimes those fireworks shows, like, they like to tease the finale, and then they, like, bring, dial it back, and then they do the finale again mm-hmm. and again. And again, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm for it, but it was a good July 4th weekend and always prefer, this is a huge take of mine that the, the holiday on the Monday following a weekend is so much better than the Friday, even though it's the same amount of days, like mentally when you have a Saturday, Sunday, and then the wraparound on Monday, somehow it feels longer that I'm like a big uh, proponent of that.
4: I get uh, Yeah, I guess so. I mean, but, but they basically just made July 4th, Monday this year. Everybody. Was well, they
1: do that the whenever it's a Sunday, whenever it's Saturday, they make it July 3rd,
4: right? So, okay. Well, if anybody wants to call in and let us know how your July 4th was, what you did, uh, that's fine as well. We can talk, talk about that as well. 215 592 We're talking about the Phillies starts. Joe, do you think their problems are large? Like, I look at their, the Phillies' issues, and I think they're core issues. I think there are problems with the core that they assembled in 2019. Uh, when you try to do it through trade and free agency, it typically doesn't work. And I don't think a couple small additions would really do much to change it. Like, we can look at it and say, okay, well, you add a couple bullpen pieces, you know, and things are going to look a lot better. That if it would slot other guys into their roles, you know, you wouldn't have these blown saves and things would change for this team and all of a sudden they'd be a a good team, the best team in the division. I don't see it that way, um, but... If you if you believe that, um, I'd like to hear from you. Do you think their problems are, are are large, like core issues that aren't really solvable this year, as I believe, or do you think they're small, that if you do add a couple pieces here, a couple pieces there, it can significantly change the way this team looks, and significantly change their fortunes moving forward. Two one five five nine two nine four nine four. Here from Joe Girardi after this. 13-3, to beat down to the Cubs in a couple of minutes. First, let's go to Dave and Cherry Hill. What's up, Dave?
6: Hey, Tom. You know, I've got to compliment you a little bit. You always paint such an interesting picture, and you you get my interest up anyway. I don't know about the rest of the people. No matter what it is, the uh, Phillies or the Eagles or the Sixers. Well, thanks, um, Dave. I look at the, I'd like to look at the season myself on the team exactly as it is, with neither being a seller or a buyer. If you were a seller, I think you'd surely lose everything. The buying is a question mark, but looking at the team as it is, I think that they're really a underperforming team that there's kind of nowhere else to go, but up the defense could, is, could get better. The, the, uh, and the, uh, the bullpen could get better starting pitching. I don't think will get better. And, uh, if you look at the last three seasons, though, they've tended to play bad the second half of the season, and you've got to break that trend. And uh, I think they could. Uh, certainly, the defense could get better. Hoskins and Baum could get towards last year's form. And uh, and Harper could get healthy. He's been hit in the face, and, and he maybe could get better. Uh, one, one person that bothers me a little bit is O'Double. He comes in, hitting like crazy, playing outfield, and now he seems to be regressing a little bit.
4: Yeah, well, what worries me, Dave, with O'Double is over the last couple of weeks, he's kind of reverted back to doing some of the stuff that I feel like he had cleaned up when he got back. Like, I think, you know, his experience and, and the suspension and everything, uh, being down in the minor leagues for that long, kind of humbled him. But since he's been back and playing well, like, the last couple of weeks, last week he had an issue with not hustling on a play at third base where where he didn't seem to be really paying attention when the ball was hit and broke late, and I have seen some of that where he has kind of reverted back to doing some of that dumber stuff that he used to do in the past.
6: I agree with you. I'd like to see them start somebody else benching for a few games and see if that uh, brings him back. He, he seems to play a little bit better. He's a little more motivated to prove something. And uh, I don't know, maybe Moniac or – Another center fielder, if you could find one, would be nice.
4: Yeah, that's a problem, Dave. I just don't think they really have anybody else to play. Like, you just need to get Od And I know we've said this a ton, and, and O'Double sometimes is uh, difficult to get a hold on to do this for longer periods of time. But you just need to get him back doing the right things because I don't think they really have any other options. Like, Moniac is not ready, and they said Moniak's not even a center fielder anymore. They think he's more of a corner outfielder. They don't think he can he can do the things defensively he would need to do in center field. And you don't you don't see any other prospects for center field? No, I mean that, and that's a huge part of the problem with the organization as a whole. Is you know their farm system is really bare when you look a lot of these spots.
6: Yeah, well, maybe there would be a place to to be a buyer to get to pick up some uh, somebody cast off. Yeah. Uh, that would be a good hitter. Uh, but I really think that that uh, Hoskins could catch fire hitting and Harper could and Gregorius could and Baum could. They could all hit a lot better than they've been doing and yeah. play defense better, too.
4: Yeah. Well, I hear you, Dave, and I appreciate the call, man. Thank you very much. And, yeah, I mean, that's really what's going to influence this decision here. And it's why, you know, when you talk about buying or selling, and it's hard – It's hard, as I say, let's talk about the major league team and kind of forget about the minors a little bit. That's difficult because that does play into it. Because when I talk about selling, and I I discussed it earlier today, like, I'd be willing to trade everybody. Zach Wheeler, JT Romito included. And I know they're your two all-stars. I know they've been your two best players. And Wheeler this year has been phenomenal. He's on a very affordable contract where he's one of the better players Bargains in baseball considering his performance, but the minors does play into it. And the fact that the Phillies farm system is as, as, you know, barren as it is, that does play into why I would make all these guys available. Like, I don't want to trade a guy like Zach Wheeler. I, I, I want to make that perfectly clear. Like, I'm not selling these guys just to sell them. But the scenario, you know, that I've discussed is if you get an offer from a team, a contender who needs a frontline starting pitcher and they are desperate and they're a team like like say the situation the Dodgers have been in the last couple of years, where they are in a spot where it's we are going for it right now. If somebody comes to you and says, We will give you four prospects and you evaluate these prospects and they are decent prospects, and two of them really have a chance to be players like whether they're position players whether they're pitchers that's something you need to consider doing like with the with the way your farm system is you need to consider getting talent in there and infusing your minor league system and really the only way to do that is to trade some of your better pieces at the major league level and it's not something that I would want to do. It's not something I'm sure the Phillies want to do, but I think it would be foolish to not even consider it. 215-592-9494. If you want to get in, uh, let's go to Jeff in Tabernacle. What's up, Jeff?
3: Hi, how you doing? Uh, yeah, I've been perusing the internet and, you know, some of the other major league teams and like, for instance, the Mets, like they're very enthusiastic about being in first place. And, they're really big right now on being buyers. So I think to add a few pieces to the Phillies and tweak the team would kind of be in vain because all the other playoff contending teams are going to be doing that also. And hate to admit it, but right now the Mets are the front runner. So big market, New York, lot of money, big new owner, big money owner. They're going to go big on buying at the trade deadline. And for the Phillies to tweak the bullpen and maybe add a fourth starter, you know, I think it would be in vain because you're running of the team that's doing the same thing. The Mets offense is the exact same story as the Phillies offense this year. They were injured and they're totally underachieving. They're healthy again. They're looking for their offense to kickstart, just like we're looking at ours to kickstart. Plus, they're going to go big with adding pieces at the trade deadline. So, and then to Dan's point, what he was saying about the playoffs, even if you would squeak into the playoffs, this team isn't going anywhere in the playoffs. So, I think the pragmatic thing to do is be a seller at the deadline.
4: Yeah, I agree, Jeff. And, yeah, I heard Jody talking about that as well as far as, the Phillies kind of swimming upstream with, uh, you know, the trade market at the deadline because it's true. Like you look at these other teams in the NL East, like you mentioned the Mets, the Mets are looking to win now. They're going to go for it, obviously. The Braves are in the same kind of position. They're going to go for it. Washington probably will make some moves to add instead of subtract. So, yeah, I agree that the Phillies are already going to be in a market where a lot of the teams in their division are going to be buyers, and there's no question about that.
3: Yeah, and, and they might be better off being somewhere in the middle, not a fire sale. But, like, you know, get some value out of Gene Segura while the getting's good. Right. And, like Dan said, you you got to add a third baseman to complete defense. Maybe the DH comes next year. You put Beaumont first, Warren left field, and you got got uh, Hoskins for DH. I mean, it's moves like that that are going to set up a
4: contender in the future. Yeah, no, no, it, it's a good point, Jeff. And it's it's something that they got to look at here. And I appreciate the call. Thanks, man. And I do wonder if this plays into it. And this just occurred to me during the call. And, Dan, I, I want your opinion on this as well. Because when you think about buying or selling and you think about, like, the outlook next year and beyond, and this kind of, I think, would add to... Right or not, the logic behind maybe the Phillies buying is the very realistic possibility that there is no baseball season next year. Like, there is a very realistic possibility that, I mean, we we saw it last year, when during the pandemic, they couldn't, the players and owners couldn't come to an agreement on anything. And it took forever just to come to a a you know com- a, a compromise on a 60 game season and the prorated all all that stuff that they were arguing about i don't think it's a very um i i don't think the outlook for these labor negotiations this uh this winter are are very good like i don't i certainly don't think we have a full season next year um I think there's a real possibility there's no baseball at all and if John Middleton and Dave Dombrowski are looking toward next year and are going to be like okay well you know there is no baseball we got to try to do something in the interim we got to try to win now to to give our our fans something to to make a move for our organization do you think that plays into they're thinking at all as we head toward the the deadline considering there might not be baseball next year?
1: I mean, it might. I don't think it should. Like, I don't think you can think that way as a team because even when you have to assume that there's going to be some baseball next year and you're going to mortgage the future of your franchise, whatever season there is, because you're playing like there's no tomorrow. But I agree with you in terms of this coming winter, it's going to be kind of a lot like, like, you remember the winter of Machado and Harper, and it felt like that would never end, except we're talking about the sport actually coming back. Like, last year, you had some health things coming into play, and I think the players and owners probably could have gotten back sooner than they did. But next year, all of the pressure is going to be on them. There's no health reasons, assuming that some variant doesn't pop up that ever needs to go get vaccinated for again. It's all going to be on just getting back for financial reasons or getting back on the field. And I expect this to go a while into the winter. They might miss games, but I would I would really like to think that because of what happened last year, and maybe I'm giving these guys too much credit because they're just so self-minded in their own way, that I would like to think that we don't miss an entire season next year because of what happened last year and that there will be a motivation by the time opening day rolls around, all right, we got to bunker down here and just get something done. And would, to would... the point of what the Phillies are doing in terms of that, I think you have to... I don't think you can think like that. I think you have to assume there is some sort of season next year and we play this thing normally.
4: Now, I would hope so. I would
1: hope. That's I would a, really like to think so.
4: I would hope that's the thinking, but, I mean, based on the fact they couldn't agree with anything. They don't have a anything, good track
1: record to make us believe
4: that. You're right. correct. I and mean, the fact they couldn't agree on anything during the pandemic, I, I, I don't think the players or owners have the fans in mind at all. No, I I
1: don't think they do, but you would hope they have themselves in mind because every day they don't play. They're bo- both sides are losing money, at least in the pandemic. Like, you remember, there was, like, the first report was they were going to play in spring training sites in May, and then it was, is that still safe? And there were a lot of logistics that were very, very new. Would there be fans? There were a lot of things to figure out. This time around, we're coming up on a normal season. It'll be the first time they're coming off an actual full 162-game season. In a couple of years now like there will be no health excuses as far as we can tell at this point it will just be owners players can we get something done from a financial perspective and continue to play baseball and then when baseball season rolls around and there's nothing going then everyone's going to be saying well you don't have covid to fall back on this time you can't say well we're dealing with the different health experts now it'll just be like you guys stink and need to find some sort of common ground or otherwise you're really both going to be the losers on both sides. Cause neither of you are going to make money. And of course there's even bigger losers in the whole thing. Like people who work in stadiums and us, the fans who can't go and stuff like that, who maybe they're not thinking about all that and they should, but ultimately I think they would get something done just because if they lose another year next year, like that's just adding insult to injury at this point.
4: I hope so. You're more optimistic than I am. I would really
1: like to think so. I-, I would like to think that last year some play some effect, and them rushing to get something done next year, and I, it won't it won't be soon, but like closer to the spring.
4: I think maybe on the player side, I don't think I don't think the owners have any problem not playing. Like how, I, how
1: like how long would, would the owners really hold out on something?
4: I think like they'd hold. I think like they'd the whole out, year. I think they would. I mean, they wanted to do that. Like we've heard all
1: about how much money they lost last year, but which is total. I you know, think there were a BS lot of
4: owners that didn't want to play at all last year. Like that was being reported. I don't think the owners particularly like we already know the owners don't really care about them. No, the it's game. just, you know, I it's mean, like the,
1: it's like their own fantasy baseball team. It's just like a side hobby for some of them.
4: Yeah, know? and I actually think Middleton is actually one of the owners who cares about He might care baseball. a little too much, to be honest. Right. And that, that, I think that's a big part of his issue is I, and I've said it before, like I think John Middleton truly wants to win. I think he truly cares. I just don't think he really knows how to win and how to do things the right way, but yeah, it's interesting and I wonder if that would play into the Phillies' thinking as they head toward the deadline here as, you know, a potential lockout or strike, whatever you want to call it, could loom um, in 2022. Uh, 215-592-9494, 215-592-9494. Didn't get a chance to get to Joe Girardi's comments there. We'll do that when we get back. I also have a social media great for you, so that's coming up next. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP, I'm Tom Kelly with you on a Tuesday morning, 215-592-9494. If you want to get in, in a second we'll hear from Joe Girardi, we'll hear what he had to say after the game, but I do have a social media gripe for you today. And my gripe today is uh, another trend on social media where people will say something like, can we normalize, you know, not talking about whether the Phillies are going to be buyers or sellers at the deadline? Like, can we... Uh, now, Dan, I, I, are, is normalize, is that something you would use in a tweet? Like, me personally?
1: Yes. I don't... I'm going to have to search my own Twitter. I, I would not be surprised if I did, but I definitely haven't used it in a while.
4: Yeah, you strike me as a guy who... who would tweet something like that. Who checks in on some of these trends. Like, you... I'm a little you, bit you of You participate a tr- in some of the gripes, I think. You're part oh, of the Oh, I problem. have.
1: I've definitely... Well, I did... Remember the time I did the verbal checks notes? Yeah, that was bad. That was bad. I, he, I've done oh, a few... He had
4: to call you out uh, <laughs> when you weren't here the one
1: night. Yeah, I know. Uh, sometimes I will do it. Like, I'm... As you heard with my fireworks thing, where I'll say, this is it. Sometimes I am an instigator. Not necessarily to you specifically, but my friends, or I know that certain things will get under people's skin and I don't I don't mind being that guy. I don't think I've done the normalized thing in a while and some of these gripes I happen to agree with but this is not one that has gotten under my skin yet nor is it one that I've tried to get under people's skin It's kind of just like one I haven't participated in on either side okay but yeah. it is kind of funny that because people do do it a lot yeah. like can we normalize this can whatever we... yeah eh, whatever can we can we normalize? I'm trying to think of a good one, like a non-sports that,
4: one. That is the problem, is I'll do the gripes, but then, you know, and you see, like, it feels like hundreds of these different things, but then when you're trying to describe it on the air, you can't, nothing comes to mind.
1: Can we normalize going into Wawa with sandals at the beach? People do that all the time. But I'm trying to think of, like, something that is a little bit faux pas that maybe gets phased out would be the best way to describe it. I guess. I'm trying to. I'll. I'll. I'll find some examples okay. here, and I'll, we'll read them off.
4: There we go. Yeah, that's that's what Mike normally does. So you can you can find some examples, and we'll we'll try to describe it in a way that's a little uh makes a little more sense. Two one five five nine two nine four nine four. If you want to get in, and I also wanted to throw this side topic out there because I did this a little bit when I was filling in for middays, and we had some fun with it. So uh, I want to give it to the other uh, overnight audience here. Um. I was uh, discussing the fact that the Cowboys were selected as the team for Hard Knocks this year, which Hard Knocks is a show that's really fallen off in the last couple of years. Like I was out on Hard Knocks pretty much when they had a they actually had the perfect team 2 years ago with the Raiders and like because the Raiders have so much editorial um say in terms of what can be broadcast and what can't they like did not get as much into the Antonio Brown thing as they should have. And that was, that was when Antonio Brown was really causing all those issues with the Raiders. There was that leaked phone call of him and Gruden, which still crack that cracks me up every time. And the fact that Gruden like loved the video that he put out that was like very demeaning to Gruden and the Raiders. But like, when they didn't really dive into that too much, I'm like, this show sucks. It, you you don't really get a great look at what's actually going on. Last year, I didn't even really watch it with the Rams and Chargers. It was really just from the episode I watched, the first episode was basically just all the stuff they had to do with COVID protocol. And at that point, I didn't even know if there was going to be a football season. It was kind of depressing, so I just didn't even watch it last year. But, like... In a hypothetical world where you could have a show that was, like, unvarnished, un, you know, unedited content, what would be a team throughout history that you would like to have followed throughout the course of a season? In any sport, a team that you would have liked to follow and get a real look at what everything was like behind the scenes? I think one of the better... Uh, suggestions I got during the midday show was the '93 Phillies. I, I don't know that would have been that
1: was going to be my answer actually. Oh, God, yeah. the, the amount of stuff that is probably unspeakable that went on on team planes and in that clubhouse.
4: I mean, just Dykstra alone.
1: It's just Dykstra alone. Like they got away with so much stuff playing not in the social media age. Yeah, that you can't even picture it. The '93 Phillies is a good one. The '01 Sixers would have been a, just like follow around AI, kind of like a last dance type of idea but for a team that was a little bit lesser known nationally but here in philly would be like the best example of like a one-man show kind of thing i think that would have been cool but i have to think about that more
4: yeah so if you want to get in on that a team throughout history or it could be like a boxer fighter if you want to follow them up through like a uh, uh you know their process getting ready for a fight or something uh you can get in on that but a real like unedited look. Not like they do it on like Hard Knocks or one of these shows that doesn't really give you much access. Like the Eagles show the other, uh, a couple of years ago. On Amazon?
1: Yeah, that was very edited, very right. clean cut. You want unedited, no filters, like all the language and profanity and all of that. I mean, it,
4: that, that show portrayed Carson Wentz as like some great leader and we've seen... Then, We've seen tons true. of
1: evidence otherwise, right? To to suggest otherwise, yeah. Now there's the '93 Phillies. That's that's a tough answer to beat. Yeah. I, that might be the best example, maybe definitely in Philadelphia, but I have to think all
4: time. Yeah, all time. So if you want to get in on that, you're you're welcome to two one five five nine two nine four nine four is how you get in if you would like to join the show. But uh, Phillies win this one over the Cubs thirteen to three, and a really impressive win. Um And a stress-free win, which was nice to see for the first time in a while here. But um, one of the more encouraging things about this game to begin with was Andrew McCutcheon, who had to leave Sunday's game with an injury, uh, did end up playing and played well, ended up uh, starting and went three for five in this game, um, scored a couple runs, Knocked in a run, here was Joe Girardi after the game on uh, McCutcheon and his performance and his status.
7: yeah, I told you I like him in the in the um in the rBI situations because I think he's really good in those events because he's done it so much in his career. Um, I don't think that he tries to do too much and he's patient and knows how to work counts and find a pitch to hit. so uh, you know, I was concerned after Sunday where he was going to be today, but obviously he felt really good
4: and McCutcheon's a guy that. The Phillies are going to need moving forward here. Obviously a slow start to the year, picked it up a little bit more of late and uh, a big sigh of relief that he's not missing time. Cause let's face it, the Phillies really don't have any other options behind him. I mean, you don't want to play a guy like Brad Miller every day in left field. And that would have, you know, been an issue uh, if you're running out Brad Miller and Jankowski and guys like that, um, and Luke Williams, even who has played pretty well, but uh, you don't want to lose McCutcheon. So that was encouraging to see McCutcheon out there and playing well. Here's more from Joe Girardi on his team and maybe uh, adding some runs in the ninth inning uh, is able to jumpstart this offense moving forward.
7: You know, you feel like you're in a no win situation as a hitter in those situations when you're facing a position player. Sogard almost got out of it, um, but recent, the two run homer. Uh, and the big thing is you never want a position player to hurt himself, not to try too, too too much. And, you know, I thought Sogard did a nice job of not doing that.
4: Yeah, and the Phillies end up facing a, a position player in this game, Sogard, from the Cubs. So many times this year it feels like the Phillies have been on the opposite end of that as they were on Sunday when when Knapp came into pitch. Um, but able to add runs in the ninth, and maybe that can get guys out of, out of slumps. Here's more Girardi uh, on adding runs uh, as the game went on and how that can kind of, um, how that can kind of translate moving forward.
7: Well, I think it it helps tremendously. I mean, you know, a lot of these games that, you know, that we've given up the lead, it's been like two to one, three to two, four to three. It, It hasn't been very often where we've had a big lead and it was really nice to tack on runs. And it's important that we do that in the future.
4: And that's big that the offense can kind of give the bullpen, Some relief. I mean, this bullpen shouldn't have excuses made for them. Like, on Friday night, you're up three runs. That should be enough. Um, They shouldn't need this huge cushion every night. But it does give you a little more of a stress-free environment to get some of these guys some innings in lower-stress situations so they can maybe get back on track, whether that's Neris, whether that's Brogdon guys that have struggled lately, maybe if they're pitching in the, kind of these lower stress um, situations, these lower stress innings, they can, uh, you know, be a little more effective. And Brogdon was tremendous in this game, ended up going too scoreless. Uh, but here's more from Girardi on how this performance can maybe help the Penns' confidence.
7: Yeah, you hope so. Um, you know, Brogdon came in and did an outstanding job, and then Archie did an outstanding job based on tough hitters, Alvarado and and to get Kins back in the, in the mix was good. So I really hope so. Um, It was nice to see our offense explode too, you know, for some extra runs, give us a little breathing room.
4: And that was nice to see. Very encouraging from the bullpen that they're able to do that and get, uh, you know, able to close out this game in a fashion that doesn't make you sweat near the end of it. Matt Moore gave up two runs in the first four, just one run the rest of the game. Alvarado gave it up in the latter innings. Here's more from Girardi on uh, Brogdon's performance.
7: Well, I just hope it gets him back on track. Um, you know, he's got really good stuff, you know, and fastballs, 97, 98. He's got a change up. That's really, really good. His cutter is improved. Um, hopefully it just gets him back to throwing the ball like he's capable. I thought he drove it downhill very well tonight. It's fastball. Um, but um He's important to us, and we got to get him going, you know where he's really consistent. he'll He'll put together long stretches for us, and uh, hopefully this is the start of another one.
4: and Brogdon really is a guy that I look at as kind of an X factor where he's got good stuff. I do think he struggles mentally. Like it seems like every time they put him in a, a, an, an increased role that he kind of takes a step back. When he goes into seventh and eighth innings or, uh, you know, really high leverage situations, that seems to be something that messes with his head a little bit. And that's something he's obviously going to need to get over um, if he's going to end up being a reliable part moving forward. Um, but just as far as pure stuff is concerned, uh, when Brogdon's got it going with that change up fastball mix, he can be pretty effective. And it was encouraging to see him not just pitch well in this game, but to go two innings. I mean, when you can have a reliever come out, give you multiple innings, that obviously helps in a significant way moving forward. Here's more from Joe Girardi on what would have happened uh, if the Phillies need to close this game out and who currently is the the closer on this team. Hey, Joe, what would the uh,
7: save situation have looked like tonight if you had one? It was Ranger. And what does that mean for Alvarado? I mean, you're he's going to yeah, I'll use him in important situations. And right now in the 7th 8th, um, if I have to close with him, I'll close with him. If Ranger's down, I'm not afraid to close with Alvarado. I really believe in him. And I know he's had a couple of rough outings, but his stuff is excellent.
4: And um, uh, so I'm going to close with Ranger. And that is the right way to go right now. Like, for better or worse, whether Girardi believes in Alvarado, whether he believes in Archie Bradley, any of these guys, Ranger Suarez has earned the opportunity to pitch in every high leverage situation he can right now. Um, he has been the most reliable guy coming out of the bullpen. He doesn't seem to get rattled. Even when he, you know, gives up a home run or something, doesn't let him affect him too let it affect him too much. Uh, was really relaxed and calm when he came out. It seemed when he uh, was able to, to ice that game away on Saturday and, yeah, I think certainly Ranger Suarez has earned the right at this point to come out and and, and be given uh, more responsibility out of that bullpen because Alvarado's been tough to trust. Bradley's stuff hasn't looked as as great as you'd expect, been injured a lot of the year. Brogdon struggled when you put him in these kind of situations. So, um, And we know the struggles Hector's had. So, uh, yeah, I think Ranger Suarez clearly deserves uh, more opportunities to close games out at this point 215-592-9494 if you want to get in 215-592-9494 to join the show um we got open lines right now i see mike in south phillies there we'll talk to mike when we get back i'm tom kelly with you on a tuesday morning sports radio 94 wip sports radio 94 wip i'm tom kelly with you on a Tuesday morning following the 4th of July weekend. Also hosted Middays yesterday. We had a couple guests, so we'll, uh, we'll replay those interviews for you on the show tonight. Uh, don't have many guests on the overnight program, obviously. But uh, we had Tim Kelly on, who actually was on with Jody as well. So we'll uh, uh, have the interview I did with Tim. And also we had Kyle Newbeck on to talk some Sixers. So we'll do that in the 4 o'clock hour and get into some, some Ben Simmons stuff uh, as some reports about his value and reports about uh, potential offers that have been made to the Sixers. And I, have been, I am becoming more and more optimistic about what the Sixers are going to get in return uh, this offseason. So we will get to that a little later on in the show. Uh, but, Dan, you said you had a couple uh, examples for me from the social media gripe of like normalizing things that's uh that was the gripe today.
1: Yeah, so I got a few that I couldn't think of on the spot, but these are perfect examples. Uh, we'll start with like a very basic one, you know, normalized casual clothes in the workplace. Simple enough, it kind of makes sense. Something that people would like to see change. Uh, short shorts for men and here's one that Uh, is short shorts for men. Yeah, I guess more people want to see short shorts, want to show off the thighs. Look, I'm just reading. No, thank you. I'm just reading other people's. I'm not saying I stand with these. I'm with the casual clothes in the workplace. And here's one that I'm not sure. You got to tell me what you and your wife have been doing with this one. Not telling your extended family everything about your child. Because I guess people are getting sick of hearing everything about everyone's kids. So I don't know how much you divulge about like your kids' growth and stuff like that. Or you would like to see that normalized or not. But that was just another quick tweet I found. Hmm.
4: Yeah, I mean, I thought people liked hearing about the baby. Maybe not, though. Maybe I should—
1: Well, this is just one person's more, opinion.
4: Yeah, maybe I should be more, more quiet about that. But, yeah, I think a lot of people, they just—I they, mean, down the shore, it's just everybody wants to hold him constantly. That's the one good thing about— Well, he it. just steals
1: all the attention. It's the
4: one good, good thing about being down the shore is, you know, it takes a little little pressure off as far as, uh, you know, take, taking care of him and stuff like that. Everyone's
1: but, so eager to help because they're not doing it during the week.
4: Right, Exactly. Two one five five nine two nine four nine four. If you want to get in, uh, talking about the Phillies and whether their problems are large or, or small in totality. Like I don't think even if you went out and bought, and I know this is going to be the conversation over the next couple weeks. And man, these next couple weeks are going to be are going to be kind of long. Just to, I mean, let you know, and you know, obviously, people who listen, they 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 know when the news cycle's really active, and when it's not. And since the pandemic and sports came back, it's been one thing after another. This next few weeks is probably going to be like the deadest sports period we've had since there were no sports. Honestly, Um, up until the NBA uh, offseason gets underway, up until training camp gets going. So we'll talk a lot about the Phillies. But do you think their problems are larger or smaller in totality? I don't think even if they go out and buy, it would really fix the fact that the core – is the issue with this team? Um, but other people, you know, I think the issues are are smaller, and maybe if you do add a couple pieces, it makes the the larger product look a lot different. So I want your takes on that and our side topic. If you could see watch a team, uh, you know, really unedited behind the scenes for a full season who would it be any team any sport all time as the cowboys announced for the uh hard knocks uh they they are the subject of hard knocks this year um on hbo so if you want to get on that you can as well 215-592-9494 let's go to mike in south philly what's happening mike yeah, how's it going tom not much or pretty good what's going yeah. on
8: actually i have a social media group of my own oh, it's nice related stuff. to sports actually um I've noticed a lot of people pretending that they love soccer so they can come off as multicultural. There are people who like soccer, but whenever there's a big tournament, whether it's the Euro or the gold cup, there's like a thousand percent increase in people who go on social media to talk about soccer. If you're a soccer fan, you will always talk about soccer. The people who spring into action, you know the cockroaches who are lying dormant and spring into action when one of these you know tournaments comes along. They don't like soccer. They want to come off on social media and pretend like they like they, they like soccer because they think so. they think it'll make them look multicultural.
4: Yeah, that that that's an interesting one, Mike. So so the fake soccer fans out yeah. there. Yeah,
8: uh, look the at guy. me. I, I'm I'm, I, I'm a diverse sports fan who likes sports outside of the major four. Look at look at <laughs> look at me. Right. Like I didn't see, I I didn't see. Some people, I didn't see them say one thing about soccer until the last two weeks. Not a single thing. And all of a sudden, now they love soccer. No, you don't. You want to come off as multicultural. Look at me. I like, I like soccer. You know, I'm a, I'm gonna, I, I can't wait until they, uh, they start tweeting about bocce, like, <laughs> you know, or, or curling. Uh, it's like it, they're frauds. Yeah. Now, there are people who genuinely like soccer. And talk about it, you know, a year round. But there's a lot of people who uh, pretending, pretend, yeah, who are pretending to like it right now, and I, I don't think they do. I think they're pretending to.
4: Okay. Well, I, I like that one, Mike.
8: Yeah. Um, and by the way, just a general pet peeve, since you know it was July 4th, I, I'm all for fireworks during the holidays. But this city has ruined fireworks for me because it has become intolerable. The nightly fireworks barrages of losers who have nothing else to do who started at like 10 11 o'clock every night and if somebody's listening right now who are one of those people will you grow up and get a real hobby like seriously if it's fourth of july let off all the fireworks you want but like last night was the encore now it's like now it's every day until like october or november it's going to be nightly fireworks and it's just absurd and i don't frankly i don't even know how how people get these many fireworks like what do the people spend their entire paychecks on them? Like how, how do these people never run out of fireworks?
4: People do overdo it with the fireworks, Mike. And it's like the 4th of July will start this period where the next month will be fireworks like every night.
8: Yeah. And it'll go on. Yeah. Uh, but um, anyway, uh, for the Phils, um yeah, like I'm actually l- legitimately concerned about the Phillies future because I was thinking about it. Like, you know, I, I always like to think like well into the future. I like, you know, to kind of prognosticate a little bit. Mm -hmm. And um, I think the Phillies are at a very important juncture where they could, you know, if we agree that they're they're probably never going to win a title or a championship with this core unless John Middleton decides to just completely take the lid off the spending and just let them go hog wild, which I don't think he's going to do. You know, other than that, I think that this core really has hit their, you know, I don't think they have a lot uh, higher ceiling than they currently have maybe just a little bit, but not much. And so if we agree that there's not going to be like a championship run in this core, then they can either have like a two-year, three-year rebuild, or it could go five, six, seven plus years. And when they decide to hit that blow up button and start over is going to decide how long that rebuild is going to be. And what I'm concerned about is that they're going to wait too long to when their core guys no longer have any trade value then they're going to decide that we need to rebuild, but then they won't have any trade value because they're going to be past their prime or no longer good. So you're going to have like a seven or eight year rebuild on your hands. Like, and the Phillies right now are like, you know, the, the, the normal cycle for a team is right. You try to build a, cha- a contender, right? And then when you, a team will realize they're not good enough, then they blow it up, then they rebuild it. And then they start all over again. Like that's the cycle. The Phillies, still haven't even realized that they're not good enough yet. Like, they're literally on square one of the rebuild. Like, they're in the the preemptive stage. You know, when they decide that they're not good enough and have to start over, that's when this thing gets going. And I'm worried that they're not going to start that or realize it until it's too late, and then this thing is going to become a massive rebuild that's going to take, you know, five, six, seven, eight years.
4: Yeah, I agree, Mike, and I think a lot of people are in denial uh, uh, on that because you can look at it and you can say, oh, well, 22 blown saves, even if you cut that in half, you're what 10 11 games better and you're in first place in the division but that's about more than just the bullpen like there's a lot that plays into that and i'm not saying the bullpen's good but the defense plays into that the lack of scoring plays into that and you know i think it 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 like you said it's it's going to be much better when we all recognize the team's not good enough and that's why as much as we don't want to do it and people will scoff at it this might be the best time to look to move a guy like Zach Wheeler. And I'm not saying you're trading him regardless, but right. if you're getting a great offer of, like, four prospects and two of those guys are, like, A-level guys, you gotta you got to strongly consider doing that deal.
8: Oh, for sure. I mean, Zach Wheeler would probably be the top player on the entire trade market. Probably, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's a, he's been the top, what, four or five pitcher this year. Um, a contender is probably going to want to add an arm like that. In hindsight, his contract actually looks really good compared to a guy like Derek Cole who got more, and Zach Wheeler has probably been better. So a lot of teams are probably going to be interested in Wheeler. Um, but, like, I, I just I don't want a repeat of what happened at the end of Ruben Amar's tenure. And, you know, and a lot of fans out there who are like, no, we can't blow it up. We still got to go for it. It's like, well, yeah, obviously it's it's hard to commit to a, to blowing up a team. It's like nobody wants to go through it, but you're not going to be saying that if, like, three years from now – the team is just a disaster. And then they decide to rebuild. They're like, oh my God, we, we have like a six year rebuild on our hands. Like, we have nothing. We have nothing to trade. We have nothing to build with. Our farm system's barren. You know, like, that's not going to be pretty either. Like, so, you know, I, I, you know, organizations have to make tough moves, but you have to do what's best for your future. But I don't think they're going to do it. I don't think John Middleton has the guts to do it. And frankly, and you brought up earlier, like, you know, if they add a couple pieces, they can get better. Well, don't forget, the other teams competing for a pennant, and particularly in this division, they're going to add pieces too. It's not like the Mets and the Braves and the Nationals are just going to sit on their hands and just let the Phillies get all the players at the trade deadline.
4: Yeah, and especially the the ones I look at, Mike, are the Mets and the Braves. Like, the Braves, I thought, were going to be significantly better than they've been this year. The Mets – are are playing pretty well. And they're going to certainly with Cohen look to add, I mean, those are two teams specifically. that are going to be in the market to get better. And I don't think the Phillies are better than them right now. They're certainly probably not going to be better after they add pieces at the deadline.
8: Yeah. And unless they like, even if they got into the play, like there, there's no way they win a, a playoff series with this bullpen. It's just not going to happen.
4: I d- Yeah. Unless, unless Wheeler pitches complete games and Nola somehow finds himself. Yeah. I kind of agree with that.
8: Yeah. Um, so now I was thinking about this, right? Like, usually it's like an annual thing for me. Whenever, like, 4th of July, like, I'm not a summer guy. I know some people love the summer. Actually, I, I prefer the cold weather. I, I I get hot really easily. Like, I start to get really hot at, like, 80 degrees. So I just, I just never like the summer. Um, I, I just I love the fall. So I always look forward, you know, after, like, the first month or so of summer, I'm like, oh, yeah, I get it. It's time to move on to football season. And, like, annually, whenever 4th of July is over and it's the next day, July 5th, I'm like, all right, we got Fourth of July out of the way. It was great. Now, just to, for me, it's the countdown of football season, yeah. and I just I can't wait for it. Um, obviously, the Phillies not being all that great this year, you know, makes it more of uh, an anticipation for football season. But you know, you know what it is for me too. It's coming off a year where we had no fans in the stands all season long. I almost felt like we had like a half of, like not even a real football season. So it's almost like, to me, it's like I've gone an entire year without watching real football, so it makes me anticipate it more. I cannot wait for this football season. Can't wait. I'm like counting down the days of training camp. And to me, what's more interesting than anything is there's maybe more than, in, in, at least in recent memory, there's so many things that I don't have any clue how they're going to turn out for this team. I don't know what Nick Sirianni is. I don't know what Jonathan Gannon is. I have no idea what uh, Shane Steichen is going to be as an offensive coordinator. I still don't even know what Jalen Hurts is yet, really, honestly. Like, he had some games where he looked really good. He had some games where he looked terrible. And then, you obviously, you have guys like Devontae Smith and Gainwell. And, I mean, there's just a whole bunch of things. Is Zach Ertz going to be on the team? Like, there's so much uncertainty. And I'm actually really looking forward to training camp and, and maybe even the preseason because I really want to see – you know what some of these guys are going to look like, and what the offense is going to look like.
4: Yeah, Mike, and doesn't doesn't some of that kind of like uncertainty add to the excitement of it a little bit? Like I kind of look at this season very similarly to how 2013 was, and obviously Chip was more of a high profile coach, a high profile higher than Sirianni was. But yeah, I remember like the anticipation was we had no clue what this team was going to look like, we had no clue what the offense was going to look like at this level, and we really don't know what Sirianni is going to run, like, we anticipate he'll run a lot of the same stuff that Frank Reich ran in Indianapolis, but who knows? And and I think this season, is going into it, is very comparable to that, where you really don't know what to expect, and and that kind of uncertainty adds the intrigue of it.
8: Oh, absolutely. and And even for me, you know, I know you disagree. You think the Eagles are going to be better than I do this year, but regardless of that, like, I'm going in with, like, no expectations at all like even though I think they're going to be bad it's not like I'm just going in kind of this like I just want to see what happens you know they they are what they are you know I you know I do think it'll be better for their future if they have one more down year just it'll set them up in my opinion for next offseason if they want to get a quarterback and things of that nature but um, but regardless of that like I'm just going in with like just just I just want to see what happens like I, I honestly have no clue like Nick Sirianni is the first coach, maybe like maybe in my lifetime, where I don't have any clue at all, like not even the slightest hint of what he's going to be. Like he could be the next, you know, Kyle Shanahan. He could be the. Jim Zorn, like, like the worst coach ever. Right. And also another added element to this upcoming season, too, is going to have a little bit of the process kind of error, Sixers-type process where we're going to be watching other teams and rooting for them to lose because we have their draft
4: picks. Yeah. No, uh, no that that's something that's going to be cool about it, too, Mike, and I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, Thanks for the call. Yeah, I think when you look at it, uh, we're going to have three games to pay attention to every week. you got the Eagles game. you got the Dolphins, who the Eagles own their pick. And the Colts, who the Eagles own their pick, and we're obviously rooting for the Colts to lose, but you don't want Carson Wentz to get hurt because then that pick would move to a second rounder. So, um, yeah, it's going to be fun, and, and I can't wait. And this is around the time where you kind of get that football itch. I guess we're nine weeks, ten weeks, something like that. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be exciting, and and we'll get to it either tonight or tomorrow because Seth Joyner uh, had joined Glenn and Ray over the weekend, but I agree with Seth. I mean, Seth uh, spoke about this team maybe being better than expected, and and I think they will be. I, I think this is a team that, and again, i continue to say it, it's all going to be about Hertz and Sirianni. Like, Hertz and Sirianni are in so many ways going to determine what the outcome is of this season for this team. Uh, but you look at the rest of the roster, I, I do not think it's a bad roster, and I think this is a team – Uh, that could have some real, legit success this year. And I can't wait to see how it turns out. 215-592-9494. 215-592-9494. If you want to get in, talking Phillies, if you want to get on the Eagles, you're welcome to. I'm going to definitely, over the next couple weeks here, since there is a little downtime before the Sixers offseason picks up, um... We are going to start really getting more into the Eagles over the next couple of weeks and looking at the roster and breaking everything down. So, if you want to get on that, you're welcome to. We do have open lines right now. 215-592-9494. Harold Lance, C. guys. We'll get you after the break. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly with you on a Monday into a Tuesday, if you want to get in, 215-592-9494 is how you join the show. I saw some bad news for a former Philly prospect. We talk about the farm system, but Sixto Sanchez, who he was the key piece in that JT Realmuto deal, he now, what is it, Tommy John surgery he's having?
1: Yeah, and... Uh, it- Look, I was actually against that deal at the time, but as his injury history continues to pile up here and he's not pitching anywhere in that Marlins organization and he has setback after setback, it's actually more of a win for the Phillies. I don't know if they projected his injury extensive injury history or not, but the fact that he's not playing and Real Muto is is actually a win for the Phillies.
4: I don't know. I still think it was a mistake. I mean, Real Muto is also what, 10 years older? No, and... I know.
1: If Sixto goes on to have any type of, like, pretty good pitching career, like, the Phillies could still use him. Yeah. And, I'm just and... saying in the short term, maybe this is part of the reason why they did it.
4: Yeah, but that's kind of the problem, though, isn't it? Like, the Phillies thinking is always in the short term. and like It, it is. You're absolutely Sixto, right. Sixto Sanchez, like, a Tommy John surgery anymore for a pitcher, it's pretty routine. Like, and I think – you know, the potential of what he has, I, I still I, I still think that move was a mistake.
1: Oh, I, I 100% agree it was a mistake, and a mistake for the biggest reason being it didn't fit the timeline of the team, and I think we're seeing that now. Like, they should have been building a little bit longer term than they were, and maybe it's because they don't have the prospects to do it, but they were looking at this thing, and they basically just got sick of rebuilding and said, let's go buy a team. Let's go get Real Muto. Let's go get Harper and see what we can do, and – I think we're seeing the results of that, whether it's last year, this year, whatever. It's a five hundred team.
4: Yeah. I'd agree. And and you know, hopefully, you know, seriously, hopefully for six though, Sanchez, regardless of that, that he gets back and, and pitches and pitches well. He's a good talent and you never like to see a kid with that kind of potential uh struggle with those kind of injuries. Two one five, five nine two, nine four nine four. If you wanna get in on the Phillies, whatever you want to discuss, uh We'll we'll, we'll talk to you tonight. Let's go to Harold in Seattle. What's going on, Harold?
3: Hey, how you doing?
4: Great show again. Thank you, Harold.
3: I want to talk about the Phillies. They lack three things. Leadership, pride, and motivation. I don't care if you got the DNA of Willie Mays, your big Bambino, and produced them and brought them They're not going anywhere. What you think about that?
4: Well, not going anywhere, what, because of the, uh, the motivation aspect of it? I do agree that there is a leadership issue with this team. I think you can hear it in the way they speak all the time, is they say they're a really good team, they're going to go on a run. They've been saying that for years, and it still hasn't happened. So I would agree that the mentality of this team is not where it needs to be.
3: And, and the way it looks, they will be a 500 team for the next 500 years.
4: For the next 500 years, they will be a 500 team. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, like, if they keep going in the direction that they're going. Yeah, I mean, they got to figure out, Harold, how to think more for the long term. I think they've made way too many short-term decisions over the last 10 years, and it's cost them in in a significant way when you look at how to build in Major League Baseball. It might be painful to look at the long term sometimes, but it's what you got to do from time to time.
3: I think they should break the team
4: up now. Don't wait. I agree. Because if you wait, you're going to be like the Sixers. So, would you, Harold, Who would you tra- Would you look at dealing everybody at the deadline, or are there certain Price guys Hopper, that wouldn't look to move? Anybody you can get money for.
3: Anyway, I don't care who it is. Bryce Hopper, the guy to sell food, get rid of all of them. Uh, this team is not going nowhere. And their farm system would be better off growing crops.
4: And I'm going to run and listen to you for the rest of the night. Well, thank you, Harold. I appreciate the call. uh, And this is the thing with a guy like Bryce Harper. And Bryce Harper, obviously, we talk about a lot. uh, Doesn't make the All-Star team this year. And, like, I know his numbers look pretty good over the last couple years. Like, his numbers, they look fine. But, like, think of it in this respect with Bryce Harper. Um. He's a good. He, he's a good player. He's a, you know, whether you rank him in the top twenty, top twenty-five, top thirty, whatever. But think of it from this perspective. And Dan, I want your opinion on this. If Bryce Harper's really that good, like if the Phillies were hypothetically, and I don't think they would even consider trading him because he, they look at him as a franchise piece. Would there be a market for him? Like, I don't think there's a market for Bryce Harper. I don't think there are many teams unless you're willing to eat a significant amount of money. And I think this really speaks to truly how good or, you know, not so good Bryce Harper is. I don't think there would be much of a market for him if you put him out on the out on the trade out on the trade block.
1: I don't even know. I agree with you. I don't even know how much that has to do with his play over the past few years. You remember the winter with him and Machado what percentage of baseball was actually interested in in him. It was like just a handful of teams who were actually willing to fork over that kind of cash for any player.
4: And the Dodgers and the Giants only wanted it to be short-term, right? I think it was –
1: No, the the, Dodgers. maybe The the Dodgers. The Giants were willing to go long-term.
4: But they were only willing to go – weren't they willing to go like seven or eight? Like, I I didn't –
1: I'll have to pull up the final offer. It was somewhere in the seven to ten range. The Dodgers specifically wanted a three-year deal. And Bryce Harper basically chose the Phillies because they were like, "Sure, we'll give you 13 years if you just sign now."
4: And obviously, the injuries and the back problems play into that. Doesn't it sig- help either significantly as well. But it's like, I, I do, you know, that is kind of the argument here. Where my, my point is, like, if the Angels put Mike Trout on the block, I don't know what percentage of
1: teams would even.
4: Oh, I think everybody would be interested. I, there's a lot of teams. The Rays, every, every- the Rays would not. No, but every team with
1: money would you would think would would be interested in just how good he is. But I don't know, like because Harper went on the block. He's not as good as Trout. I'm not trying to put him in the same conversation as him. But there there there's just so many teams who won't even fork over that kind of cash. The difference
4: the the difference would be significant in the interest level. I think that's pretty clear.
1: That is. I don't know, but I really I think you'd be surprised how many teams would not would just say we can't compete with the Yankees, with the Red Sox, with theoretically, a team like the Phillies, who sometimes have that kind of money, with the Dodgers, with the Giants. So you'd have teams like the Kansas City Royals who wouldn't even step up to the plate.
4: Okay, well, how about let, let's look at this. So the difference is what? 300 over 10 years for Machado, 330 over 13 for Harper. So Machado has a higher average annual salary. Would you agree that there's a significantly higher market for Machado than Harper? Because I, I, I think there would be.
1: I think, actually, we were going through the numbers the other day. I was producing the midday show. Harper, I think, has actually been slightly better since their deals have been made. What's surprising, and maybe the reason why it doesn't get as much attention in San Diego is who would have bet a few years ago that when those two guys' teams play and step on the field that neither one of them is the biggest star on the field. It's Fernando Tatis Jr. Like, Machado's not even the best player on his own team. Yeah. I just—I don't know. I I, just, I don't I don't know if the, if the market would be bigger for Machado than Harper. I, I don't know if I agree— the injury history for Harper is a knock against him. But I think both of them are in the same caliber of player. I, maybe Trout's a little bit extreme, but I guess my point in using him as the example is that in general, when guys like that go on the market, most teams, either because of they're not willing to fork over that kind of cash or they assume they're going to lose out to the top dogs. Like It's not like an NBA free agent with... with a salary cap like there is no salary cap so certain teams just know they're not going to bid at that level Mm -hmm. and the same thing when you're trading a guy like that you would expect those same type of teams to show up to the table I don't know what kind of teams if the Phillies tomorrow said Bryce Harper's on the block like how many teams would be interested but probably not as many as you would hope to be fair
4: yeah and I I want your take on that if if hypothetically and neither of these guys getting traded, but if Machado and Harper are both placed on the deadline over the next or on the block over the next couple weeks who would there be more of a market for I personally think there would be a pretty significant higher interest in Machado I think he's a better defensive player is that is that right I mean Dan you're more of an expert so on So he's this.
1: a really yeah he's a good he's a very good defensive hey. he's a better defensive third baseman you remember a few years ago though it's it's been a huge deal that the Padres essentially talked him out of playing shortstop. Right. Because Tatis, Tatis, who's actually not a good defensive shortstop, but Machado had been a very good defensive third baseman, not so much at shortstop. So I would agree with that. They obviously played different positions. Harper plays right, Machado plays third base. But just going through their offensive numbers, I think I would argue that Harper has been, has given more to the Phillies offensively than Machado has to the Padres.
4: But the injuries are a big deal. But the
1: injuries long-term are a big deal. And you're signing on the 10 more years of this guy.
4: And Machado's been pretty healthy over the course of his career, Yes, right? he's
1: played slightly – I'd have to calli- tally up the games, but he has played more games for the Padres than Bryce has for the Phillies.
4: Interesting. So, uh, yeah, that's an interesting question. 215 Let's go to Lance in Germantown. What's up, Lance?
9: Hey, how, how are you, man? Yeah, I think the Yankees would take Bryce Harper if we – if we swap uh for Stanton. If they would say if we take Stanton, order and, <laughs>
4: if we take yeah, and and I, you know, even though I'm a little hard on Bryce, I if I was the Phillies, I don't think I'd do that deal. I think I'd rather just stay with
9: Bryce. No. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you can't blow this team up yet. I, I, I know you want to and and would call a couple callers before me was talking about. This farm system, how depleted it is, and of course it is. But in three years from now, it won't be, if because we, we've got three years of drafting. I mean, how many draft picks do we have, and are, are there in uh, in baseball? There's like a bunch, right? Twenty five, I believe.
4: Yeah, but Lance, I mean, there are drafts every year, and the Phillies fail to <laughs> draft well, so I think that's something you gotta you gotta worry about is the scouting and development process there. Okay,
9: okay. So here's my argument for that. Then, Here's then why would we want to do anything? Else. if If we can't d- rely on this new guy who who's running the show, mm-hmm. why would we even consider doing anything if, if we can't rely on on the management to to get draft picks right I mean that's a, you know what I'm saying
4: yeah well, I think you know that that's part of the reason why you go out and you pluck prospects from other organizations who have shown the ability oh, okay. to develop okay. them more you know like because if you're trading a guy hypothetically like a wheeler or a real muto somebody wow. like that you're probably getting at least a couple prospects who are pretty far along. Like, um, you know, where the Phillies have obviously struggled to develop guys from the lower levels, but if you're trading one of those guys, you're probably getting guys who are uh, as close to surefire as can be, and obviously we know from guys like Don Brown there's no such thing as surefire prospects, but um, I think you'd be getting guys who are pretty, have a pretty good, uh, good track record and, and good chance to succeed. All right,
9: that's solid that's a solid argument. I like that, but I would still not trade for, for I, w- I would keep my catcher i would keep I would keep my my best pitcher I, I mean think about it, how many superstars are out there, like uh, the other night I, I don't know who it was, it may have been you talking about superstars in baseball Like Bryce Harper wasn't a superstar. not just you a lot of, a lot of the hosts are, are saying it Harper's right. not a superstar, but the Har of course he's not, but I think you know what you, I know you're going to chuckle with this but he reminds me of Mike Schmidt, but faster.
4: Really? Yeah, I, do. I did chuckle a little bit there. I mean, Lance, I mean, he's not Mike Schmidt. Mike Schmidt's like you one know, of the best well, players oh, of all time. You don't you know,
9: think he'll be a Hall of Famer? I'm sorry to interrupt you. You think he, he,
4: he's not a Hall of Famer? I
9: think he's coming around. I think he's starting to see that ball better. Hey, can I say something about yeah. the Eagles, offense? Sure, yeah. All right, thanks. Uh, I, I think it was yesterday. I was saying that I believe the Eagles are going to win ten games. I'm going to bump that up a notch. I think they're going to win eleven. And I think that that uh, that Hurts is really going to be a superstar. I think he's going to throw thirty five touchdown passes. The, I think the only team we have of the four major teams in our city that that we have trouble with is is that hockey team, the Flyers. I mean, they're they're a train wreck. And even the Seventy Sixers. I mean. Getting rid of Ben Simmons, all right, because yeah, he, he, he doesn't have the, you know, the, the intestinal fortitude to be better, so you got to get rid of him. That's all I, that's all I have to say. Well, hey, thanks for
4: letting me talk. Uh, no problem, Lance. I appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you on the Eagles. I actually heard we, we played some sound earlier on the midday show that Kyle Quinn alerted me to, who was producing the show on Monday, because he works with Howard every week. Howard and Elliot have a bet now that I guess is still pending. Elliott hasn't agreed to the terms, um, which it's, it's – and I apologize ahead of time for this visual, uh, that Elliott has bet that Jalen Hurts will throw 35 touchdown passes and the Eagles will win 11 games. And apparently, if that happens, Howard has offered to kiss Elliott's butt on Market Street. So, um, as much as I want the Eagles to be successful – and why? How? Why does Howard always not make too that? successful? Maybe Howard yeah. always makes these kind of bets. So well, he's that confident. He can it's offering to kiss other people's butts, or somebody's got to kiss his butt. Like we don't need, we don't need that.
1: Howard. Just really quickly on uh, Harper and Machado. Harper's had a higher OPS every year since the contracts were signed than Machado. He's walked just about more every year. He's played seventeen less games this season due to injury. His RBIs this year are obviously significantly lower because no one gets on base for him. But I think it's safe to say Oh, my
4: God, come on with the excuses, Dan. No, I'm not making excuses for him. I mean, I'm just saying he's
1: been the better offensive player. Yeah.
4: Well, when guys are on base, I mean, you've got you to come through more. Those no, un- I'm, I'm not. I'm
1: not letting him off the hook. I'm just yeah. saying that Machado has had far more opportunity. But I think overall I would argue that Harper's been the better offensive player than Machado. Neither of them have been— Superstars since signing those deals, they've both been pretty good. Machado's not the best player on his own team; they're a lot better. The Phillies, Harper's still the face of the team, and
4: they're five hundred. No, no, I'm bottom line guy. Padres were in the playoffs last year. the Phillies weren't.
5: So that so
1: that's just because that, of Machado. That, but Machado's not even. But
5: Tatis is leading nah, that team. Get out of here with your numbers. I'm okay, I'm sorry. It. I don't have any use for them. You know, you know. All right.
4: I'm just kidding. I appreciate the the research and uh, good good argument for Bryce two one five five nine two. 9494. If you want to get in, 215 592 9494. We'll continue talking Phillies. I did have Tim Kelly on my show yesterday on the midday show. So we'll play that when we return. Be joined by Tim Kelly. So that's coming up next. I'm Tom Kelly. Uh, here on Sports Radio 94 WIP. If you want to get in, 215-592-9494. We'll get you right after Uh, we talk to Tim. 215-592-9494 right here on Sports Radio 94 WIP. Tim Kelly, Editorial Director, Phillies Nation. He's on the staff here at Odyssey Sports as well. Uh, You can find him on Twitter, at Tim Kelly Sports. Tim, thanks for hopping on, man. How was your uh, 4th of July weekend? It was
0: good. Um, Yeah, I I enjoyed it low-key, but I I had a good time.
4: That's good. Good stuff. Um, And as far as the Phillies weekend, they end up taking 2 of 3 from the Padres. Maybe a little surprise uh, to some. How would you evaluate this weekend uh, the fact they're able to get 2 of 3 despite uh, having a pretty ugly loss yesterday to close out the series?
0: I would basically evaluate it the way we've seen the Phillies for the last two years. They won two out of three but they were against a really good team, but there's a lot of catches. Friday night, they blew what should have been a, a pretty stress-free win. They did win Saturday, despite you know, over three hours worth of rain delays. And then yesterday, when you feel like they really have a chance to come out and get momentum, they just get blown off the field. So... That's kind of what it's been for the Phillies the last few years. It's been difficult to sustain anything beyond two or three games.
4: Yeah, and bullpen issues obviously continued this weekend. I mean, Alvarado on Friday night struggled big time. Uh, It seems like maybe Saturday they find something with Ranger Suarez. He got it done. Do you think he deserves more opportunities, and do you think he'll continue getting those opportunities, either closing out games or in really high-leverage situations moving forward here?
0: Yeah, I think he's one of the guys that has shown you that his pulse doesn't really change depending on what situation he's in. Uh, It it is a little unfortunate you're kind of forced into potentially giving him these high leverage spots because having a guy that can go two or three innings and not blow the game for you in the bullpen is, is a valuable thing to have. But right now you might need him to be an eighth or ninth inning guy. So potentially we'll see that.
4: Yeah, and obviously the guy who was closing out to start the year, Hector Narris, it's been really kind of a nightmarish season for Hector. He obviously Sunday, close to a strike away from the Immaculate inning, then ends up giving up six runs. First off, have you seen anything quite like that? And second, uh, what's going on with Hector? And uh, do you think he's kind of redeemable at this point, this funk that he's in?
0: Yeah, no, I have not seen anything <laughs> like that. Although uh, that was if wild. I go... If I go back and look through the Phillies' bullpen in the last year, uh, perhaps I can think of something. But in all seriousness with Hector Nares, he has had some really good moments as a Philly and probably didn't get enough credit when he did. But he's also had some lows. He's the longest tenured player on the team. And and truth be told, I I think a change of scenery would probably be best for all parties involved at this point.
4: Yeah, and you look at – we got Suarez in the bullpen, who you think Girardi can feel okay about. But aside from him – who do you think, Tim, that he feels comfortable in? I mean, he expresses that he still has faith in Alvarado, but uh, Alvarado can be all over the place sometimes. Who Who do you think Joe Girardi still can have faith in in this bullpen uh, other than Ranger Suarez?
0: I don't think there is anyone, and that's the problem. Now, I, I think Connor Brogdon's long-term prospects are good, but he's had some bumps in the road this season. Alvarado, I mean, it, it is what it is. He He has nights where he looks like he could be a Hall of Famer, And then he has other nights where he can't find the strike zone. And I would say two out of three of the nights are the nights he can't find the strike zone. Coonrod is injured, who had given you some nice moments. So you're in an unenviable situation. We can go back and forth about how Joe Girardi has handled the bullpen over the last couple seasons. But the reality is there has not even been close to enough good arms for him to work with.
4: Now, as far as the organization and the pitching staff, Tim, I mean, you look at... Up, what's going on up in Boston and Nick Pavetta how he's kind of had this resurgence do you see that as a real indictment on the organization and and the coaching and the development of some of these pitchers whether it's starters or bullpen pieces the fact that they could never really figure Pavetta out and he's having that success with Boston or do you think that's more things just kind of clicking for Pavetta at the right time
0: well I think with Nick Pavetta specifically it, it's been a little bit overrated how much success he's had he's had some nice moments but Last time I checked, his ERA was still o- over four, so uh, him specifically, I think he needed a change of scenery, and he kind of needed a shock to the system, so it, it probably worked out fine for him going elsewhere, but yeah, there there are certainly guys that they haven't developed in the way they've wanted, but the, the bigger problem to me has been the identification of that talent and the development at lower levels of the minor league system. Once you get to the major leagues, you know what a lot of these guys are generally, so It has been using three consecutive picks on Cornelius Randolph, Mickey Moniak, and Adam Heasley, and none of them are at the major league level right now. And I don't know that you feel good about any of their long-term prospects at the major league level. So that burns. I mean, I think in the last two years they've done a better job with guys like Bryson Scott and Mick Abel, but they had a stretch there where they had really high picks, and they have pretty much nothing to show for it.
4: Tim Kelly on with us now, editorial director, Phillies Nation on the staff here at Odyssey Sports at Tim Kelly Sports, where you can find him on Twitter. As far as one of the pitchers on in the organization right now, Tim, Spencer Howard, it's been kind of a perplexing situation with him all year. Back in the minors, had a good minor league perf- uh, outing his last time out. Do you think he projects more as a starter, as a reliever, and why do you think the Phillies are so insistent at this point uh, to continue to to make him a starter when maybe they could utilize him in the bullpen when they're having so many issues back there already? Yeah, obviously it would
0: be best to have him develop as a starter, but I think you have to legitimately ask yourself, can you imagine a scenario where Spencer Howard pitches 170 innings in a season, and I have a difficult time saying yes. Uh, I see a lot of people saying he's a bust, and I I don't agree with that. You see he has really good stuff. That's legitimate. It's just a matter of sustaining it, which makes me wonder, would he be better served as a bullpen guy, whether that's a closer, whether that's kind of what Archie Bradley was in Arizona, where you could get five or six outs with the guy. I think he's going to have a lot of value. But if it was up to me, I would move forward with him as a reliever, but that doesn't appear to be what the Phillies are planning to do.
4: Now, coming out of yesterday, an injury, Andrew McCutcheon exits the game. What was your sense after the game, Joe Girardi? Any update? Like, did did, you get the sense this could be an IL stink coming up for Andrew McCutcheon or too early to tell there?
0: It's probably too early to tell. And it it would burn if it is if you do sell because I I don't think you're going to get anything massive in return for Andrew McCutcheon, but he's someone in theory that opposing teams, contending teams, would be interested in if you indeed do choose to go that
5: route.
4: Now, as far as that's concerned, I mean, we got th- four weeks of the deadline here, three and a half weeks. Um, do you think at this point the Phillies would be in the market to buy considering their four and a half games out, or do you think it's more they look at the fact we're three games under five we we're in a bad division, maybe we look to, to sell off some pieces and, and rebuild this farm system a little bit?
0: Yeah, you you have to be realistic with yourself, and perhaps you go on a great run these next two or three weeks. But dating back to what you've seen largely from this core over the last two years and right now, it, it would be very difficult to say that you're a piece or two away from contending. Now, that doesn't mean you're trading Zach Wheeler at the deadline or Bryce Harper or anything like that, but might you trade Gene Segura so you set yourself up to have Didi Gregorius play second base next year? Maybe might you trade Andrew McCutcheon as an expiring deal, that type of thing. So, I mean, you you can trade some of the expiring contracts Vince Velasquez, Hector Nares. There's different things you can do there. I don't know how much you're going to be able to retool the farm system. Uh, I mean, realistically, the the guy with the most value on this team is Zach Wheeler, and I would not make that trade. Um, It'd be interesting if a team calls on Zach Eflin whether they'd be willing to consider it.
4: So you wouldn't look at if you were Dave Dombrowski, you know, if you get blown away by a deal for all, for Wheeler or Real Muto or Harper, you don't think they consider trading one of those core pieces?
0: Well, I mean, if you're blown away by it, that's another thing. I don't think you will be blown away in the cases of Real Muto or Harper. And Harper has a no trade clause, and that was a big part of his deal. So I don't think he's going anywhere. Uh, as far as Zach Wheeler. <laughs> Maybe I have buyer's remorse, but you look at, at what the Phillies got for Kurt Schilling and what they got for Cole Hamels, and it amounted to basically nothing in both cases. So uh, my feeling is if you have a frontline pitcher that is at his peak, you're best off just keeping that guy.
4: Well, a big series starting tonight with the Cubs, Tim. Jake Arrieta, I'm sure the Phillies are looking forward to taking him on on Tuesday, but uh, we'll uh, be following you on Twitter and at Phillies Nation. Thanks for hopping on for a few minutes, man. I appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks, man. Have a good one. Yep, take it easy. That's Tim Kelly, editorial director, Phillies Nation, at Tim Kelly Sports is where you can find him. And, well, I appreciated Tim Kelly hopping on, former a former producer – here at WIP, um, still on on the staff here uh, with the Odyssey Sports Department and former Foundation, host of the Phillies. There you go. So, um, so did you take over for?
1: That's exactly you know? what happened. Yeah.
4: Wow. How about that? line of succession here as uh, you take over for, and now you have the misfortune of also producing my show. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it's
1: just, it seems like a pattern here, right? You know, you host Locked on Phillies, you produce here. There you go. Maybe I'll be where he is, you know, working yeah. for Phillies Nation. Who knows?
4: Yeah, and uh, as I mentioned toward the end of the, the call, we have Nola and Arietta tonight. And a little later on, we have some of the best of Jake Arrieta uh, in Philadelphia. And, it, you know, just, just. Jake Arrieta's general attitude, like, there are not many Philadelphia athletes that I liked less than Jake Arrieta. He and was brutal. He was you, so brutal. If you want to get in on that, like, most hateable athletes that have come through this city, I, I argue with Angelina all the time, and I want to maybe, I, I would like your perspective on this guy as a big baseball fan, Dan. Like, Mike has this weird thing where he, like, loves Papelbon. I don't, are you pa- you, You're you a Papelbon guy, aren't you?
1: Papelbon, look, his antics were a little weird, and he did not pitch during a great era of Phillies baseball, but he didn't luck his way into being the all-time saves leader in the franchise's history.
4: I mean, I don't know. I feel, I don't know what it is, but that 2012 season, am I misremembering? I feel like he wasn't very good that year. I feel like anytime they had, like, a big moment Bomb will blow a save and, and I when you're that good I, I expect you to save it out close it out most nights
1: yeah we got spoiled by Brad Lidge just before him I'd have to go with the, the year-by-year numbers he was under it became this thing where everyone hated him so much that he actually just in turn became underappreciated his antics I could have done without uh, of course there was that time where you know he you know grabs himself while he's walking off the mound and that was probably a little uncalled for and the, the guy you was th-
4: you think so you know, just, just,
1: just a little bit I mean he, he was a little bit of a weirdo and he didn't do himself any favors but overall he had a pretty good Phillies career it just unfortunately didn't coincide with any winning which is all anybody should care about
4: yep so uh we'll we'll get to some of the the best of Jake Arrieta from his time in Philadelphia a little later on in the show but uh, address a number of things with Tim there including. Nick Pavetta. And I think Nick Pavetta is pretty interesting. And just looking at his numbers there, um, because I, I I haven't really, I, I mean, I haven't watched him really at all, but it feels like every night he's pitching uh, a tremendous game. He has slid back uh, of late, and that's why his ERA is over 4, 4.09. But, you know, a little indictment, maybe, of the Phillies' development. I think it kind of, you can see when we have, when we rip their development to begin with and the fact that they have been unable to really develop any pitcher aside from NOLA um, over the last couple of years, and I guess you could say Eflin, they got Eflin pretty early on in his uh, process. where they, they got Eflin in the, uh, in the Rollins team. For Jimmy Rollins, yeah. yeah.
1: And funny enough, you mentioned Pavetta. He, they got him for Jonathan Papelbon.
4: Right, there you go. But um, not a great look when, that has been a chief, you know... A, a Eflin's chief. all they
1: have to show for that entire right. era, essentially. And, and which that, that's is been, not great.
4: Right. And that's been, uh, you know, a criticism of them. That they have not been able to develop these guys. And Pavetta's had some bad starts, certainly. But overall, I mean, he's been much better in Boston than he was in Philadelphia. And
1: he, you heard him speak on that. I mean, it was about a week ago. He yeah. was on national TV during, I think it was a Red Sox-Yankee game. And he's... Not only him, Cole Irvins having a much better season, like guys when they leave Philly seem to have like rebirths of their career and it it's just really a bad indictment on the organization. And I would love to know why it is guys wearing a Phillies uniform just can't figure it out and the second that they leave half the time they get a lot better.
4: And we're seeing the same thing with Spencer Howard, where this is a guy who at this point, I, I think he's far enough along where he should have been able to produce at the major league level this year. And again, they can't figure out what to do with them. They can't figure out how to put them in the right position. And it, it, it's been another situation where one of their better pitching prospects is, is still not producing in the major league. My
1: lifetime, even yours. What pitchers can you really say they've developed? Hamels, Nola?
4: That's That's yeah. the list,
1: right? That's about it? That like that's not good. If you look all around baseball, it should be much much longer than that and it's an organizational issue that unfortunately stems back years and years and I don't even know how you begin to undo
4: that. I was worried, Dan. I thought you were going to do another one of your v- verbal gripes there when you're going to say that checks it. notes that's the, that's, list. the li- that's
1: it that's the list yeah that would have been a good place to use it
4: i thought you were going to do that so uh good credit to you for not 2- by, the,
1: 1- by the way i did double check i never did um what, what was your social media normalize directive? yeah i i searched my name on twitter i've never tweeted normalize okay so i i'm safe on that
4: one okay we'll have to check you out on your other ones uh, moving forward here though 215-592-9494 if you want to get in, uh, we'll reset our Phillies conversation. When we get back, and then I got to play some audio for you because there is a player in the major leagues that has a a, a knack for hitting home runs during extremely awkward moments and completely throwing off uh, broadcasts. So we'll get to that when we return. Um, and relating back to uh, one of the one of the. <laughs> Most interesting moments of 2020. Yeah, last year, one of the more interesting uh, broadcast calls. We had another similar thing with the same player on Monday night. So we'll get to that when we return. 215-592-9494. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly with you on a... Monday night into Tuesday morning following 4th of July weekend. If you want to get in, 215 9494 is how you join the show. Been pretty jammed up on the phone so far, but now's a good time to get in if you would like to join. Been talking about the Phillies much of the night here and whether their problems are large or small. Because, you know, we talk about whether they should look to add at the deadline or whether they should look to move some of their parts and really uh, those questions are intertwined you know whether the problems are large or small because uh, you know there are legitimate arguments to be made on both I would sell because I think their problems are bigger than just the bullpen Um, you know you look at the issues the Phillies have had and It is, I think, an overly simplistic way to view it and just say, well, they have 22 blown saves. You add pieces to the bullpen. You take away half those blown saves. And this is a team that theoretically should be in first place in the division by five games. Like, you can look at it that way if you want, but that's not all the bullpen. Like, those blown saves are not just the bullpen it's also bad defense playing into that it's not being able to add runs on to give your bullpen more of a more of a cushion it's bad base running it's it's all the ugly things that we've seen and really you know I think it's pretty easy to tell especially the baseball team because in this sport you're watching them every single day and It's easy to tell when you're watching a good team or you're watching a bad team. Like, it's not that complicated. You can watch a team play every night, and you know what they are. And watching this team, like, I don't know how anybody could make a legit argument that this is a good team with just one big weakness. They're not that. This is not a good baseball team. They do a lot of things wrong. I think they have way more weaknesses than they have strengths at this point. And if that is the case, you cannot go out and buy, and you cannot go out and and fool yourself into thinking a couple additions are going to fix your problems. And it's why, because I think those problems are larger, I think you got to look at this more pragmatically. As difficult as it is, and I know – there will be a lot of opposition to this over the next couple of weeks, especially if the Phillies find themselves in a similar situation to where they are now, where you're only like four and a half out. That maybe you could, you know, really remain in this in this race and in the mix here. I just don't see it. I don't see it happening. I'd certainly look at some of those smaller pieces your Seguras, your Velasquezes. If Vince Velasquez has any market for him, obviously an outing like Sunday will not help, but if Vince Velasquez starts well over the next month or so, you know, up until the deadline, if you can get value for Vince Velasquez, I don't think it's a I don't think it's a difficult choice to make. Like we know he will likely revert back to what he is at some point. You get the value while you can. not So Discussing that, and even bigger, you know, larger pieces, whether it be Wheeler, whether it be Real Muto, they're the guys you can get significant holes for and could really set you up uh, for success later on. You still have some veterans, but you need an infusion of young talent to the minor league system. So, uh, been discussing that, and whether you think the Phillies' problems are really large or are they small, is it as simple as just adding a starter, adding to the bullpen, and would you... Um, you know, look to add if you feel like those problems are smaller than larger. So we've been discussing that. Also, side topic, um, if there was a Hard Knocks-style series because the Cowboys were just announced as Hard Knocks and I I don't feel like Mike McCarthy is going to be an incredibly dynamic personality on Hard Knocks. Just speculating there. Yeah,
1: probably not. He, he seems like a, he's a little bland. I thought of another team, though, to add to this mix. Sure, yeah. How about like the O four 4 to O five 5 era Eagles just to follow T.O. and Donovan around?
4: Somebody had suggested that, and I think that's a good one. And, and what we're doing to uh, describe it exactly is not like just Hard Knocks, but like a, a series where you get real access. Because Hard Knocks doesn't really give you great access at this point. The teams control everything. But if you had behind-the-scenes look at any team, any sport, in the history of sports, who would you pick? I think that's a good one. Um I'm trying to think of of really interesting ones.
1: The end of the Westbrook Durant era in OKC.
4: Maybe that would be a good one. I think, you know, I'm just thinking
1: of bad breakups in sports like I want to see what really happened.
4: Yeah. So, uh, Kawhi,
1: the end of Kawhi with the Spurs because there was a lot we still don't even really
4: know. Yeah. So, uh if you want to get in on those and give me your suggestions for that, uh you're welcome to as well. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. 215 592 9494. But uh, funny, uh, I don't know if it's funny. Uh, maybe a little. Ironic is yeah, the word. Right. Um, but uh, I saw this on Monday night as the Royals are playing the Reds. Ironically, again, the same two teams playing as, as the cut we played, uh, we'll play in a minute from last year. But um, Nick Castellanos, outfielder for the Reds having a phenomenal season, by the way, he's going to be starting in the all-star game this year. And a guy who really hasn't been a household name for much of his career, but uh, is having a very good year and has played uh, very well recently. He seems to have a knack for hitting home runs to a specific part of the field in certain moments. And um, I heard this sound on Monday night. This was the Royals play by play team. And uh you know not joking about what they're discussing here but they are paying tribute to a man a uh, uh, a veteran whose child whose son i guess works for the rules organization you'll hear in the cut um but nick Castellanos uh has made it a habit of hitting home runs hitting dingers uh during these kind of awkward moments uh during a broadcast and and gives us these vi- these uh pretty um interesting viral moments
10: well we're going to tell you about a great man and it's a loss for the royals family this is george gorman who passed away at the age of 96 he served our country in world war ii he went to the university of kansas and so did his son pat gorman who's been working for the royals in the clubhouse for 26 years wow And that was Pat's father. That's a great life. 96 years. And Pat, just like his dad, went to KU. He also went to Bishop Ward High School. There's a drive into deep left center field. And there's never a great time to eulogize someone during the broadcast. So we apologize for the timing. But our hearts go out to Pat, who's just been a tremendous loyal employee to the Royals for 26 years and his wife Katie as she lost her father-in-law and daughters Abby and Caroline who lost their grandfather but they had him for 96 years sorry for
4: your loss I mean you really can't make this stuff up because you get these kind of awkward moments during broadcasts. but for the same guy to do it twice because this is really the one that that made, uh, circulated virally last year during the 2020 season, where Tom Brenneman, uh, who I never understood why he spells his name the way he does. He spells it T-H-O-M, which, as a Tom, I can tell you that's not the proper way to spell Tom. Nobody spells Tom now. That that's Tom. I don't understand why he do that. Well, I
1: guess Thomas is T-H-O-M-A-S, and but, he just didn't want to, he just, I don't know. No one else does it that way, but he wanted to be different.
4: Right. But Tom Brenneman last year uh, is calling a Reds-Royals game. Um, He was the Reds' play-by-play man at the time. No longer is. uh, But said something that was not supposed to be on air, uh, got in trouble for it, rightfully so, and lost uh, his spot as Reds' broadcaster. But here was the same awkward – here was an awkward moment last year while Castellanos, again, hit a home run to left field. 3-0
11: 3-0 ball game with the Reds in front of the Royals. We go to the top half of the fifth inning. Castellanos to lead things off. Jim Day's going to be taking us the rest of the way through this game. As Holland takes over on the mound. Um, I made a comment earlier tonight that uh, I guess uh, went out over the air that I am deeply ashamed of. Um, if I have hurt anyone out there. I can't tell you how much I say from the bottom of my heart. I'm so very, very sorry. I pride myself and think of myself as a a man of faith. As there's a drive in a deep left field by Castellanos, it will be a home run. And so that'll make it a 4-0 ball game. I don't know if I'm going to be putting on this headset again. I don't know if it's going to be for the Reds. I don't know if it's going to be for my bosses at Fox. I want to apologize for the people who signed my paycheck, for the Reds, for Fox Sports Ohio, for the people I work with, for anybody that I've offended here tonight. I can't begin to tell you how deeply sorry I am. That is not who I am uh, and never has been. And I'd like to think maybe I could have some people that, uh, that could back that up. I am very, very sorry, and I beg for your forgiveness. Jim Dale will take you the rest of the way home.
4: Now, do you think Castellanos has some kind of like. Situation where people are letting him know when there's an awkward moment in the broadcast booth, like it's time to hit a home run. It's pretty amazing that he's done this twice. And specifically
1: in Kansas City. It was the same team, the same ballpark, the same batter. I mean, if any future broadcast is planning on doing one of these moments, have it nowhere close to Castellanos hitting in the order.
4: Yeah. Because clearly
1: he's got a knack for this kind of thing.
4: Yeah. So <laughs> just, I thought it was pretty ironic there that Nick Castellanos once again hits a home run. Disrupting a you disrupting first an apology, now a eulogy during uh, they a, both made the broadcast. same
1: call too. Like, and there's a drive deep left center field that'll be a home, it was like I, the same home run,
4: right? Now, I love the uh, I love the commitment by both the broadcasters. The very professional, you keep calling me. Oh,
1: game. the Brennan one is just so because like he is you can hear the deflation of his voice. Like, he obviously said something that he should not have said with a hot mic on. and while he's basically announcing that he might not be ever doing this again, he is committed, so committed to the call that he interrupts the apologies just to say it and continues like nothing happened. Right. And that's his own team's home run
4: call. Yeah. So uh, pretty, pretty ironic that uh, Castellanos would, would have the timing to do that uh, twice in a row, two consecutive years, 215-592-9494. If you want to get in 215-592-9494, when we get back, Uh, We'll be joined by Kyle Newbeck, uh, talk Sixers uh, and everything going on with the offseason. So that's coming up next. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Now we are joined by Sixers reporter for the Philly Voice. You can find him at Kyle Newbeck on Twitter. Kyle Newbeck joins us now. Kyle, I hope you had a good 4th of July weekend, man. You're enjoying your uh, your off season so far after a hard uh, season's worth of work. Yeah, man, I'm hanging in
12: there. I just back from vacation, so coming back feeling a little refreshed and uh ready to dig into the off season stuff.
4: Nice. There there you go. Well, I'm glad you got a little vacation, a little break uh, after uh, the the Busy playoff season, Kyle. But uh, let's get into it. As far as Ben Simmons is concerned, that's obviously where you got to start with the Sixers these days. Before we get into his future, let's look back at Ben Simmons in his time here. And obviously his issues, the lack of development, lack of expanding his offensive game. Who do you think is most responsible for that? Would you put more on the organization or would you put more on Ben for not improving in some of the areas that he's needed to?
12: No, I, I tend to put most of it on the players themselves. Like At, at this level and at the, the talent level that he's at, a guy like Joel Embiid is at, a lot of the, the improvement has to come from within. It has to come from guys wanting to add more to their game. Like you know, As much as we could say the roster changes and, and various things had an impact on this season, the biggest deal coming into the year was the fact that Joel Embiid, for example, came back and, You know, he added pieces of Dirk Nowitzki to his game. His ball handling is better. His shooting is better from pretty much everywhere, all over the floor. He's in better shape. All those are things that showed that Joel Embiid paid attention to his craft. And, you know, what we've seen from Ben Simmons over the last few years is that he has certainly improved as a defender. He's improved in certain ways as a basketball player since entering the league. But on the offensive end of the floor – He's basically the same guy that he's been since his rookie year. It doesn't matter what the roster is on the floor. It has not matter what the coach is. It's, he just, he is who he is. And so I, maybe this will eventually, or or this is finally the moment that causes that self-reflection to help him improve, but it's still very much wait and see for everybody right now.
4: Now you look at the situation moving forward, Kyle, obviously there, the meeting with Rich Paul and Daryl Morey and Elton Brand and we know the history that Daryl Morey did have conversations with Houston about uh, moving Ben for James Harden. At this point, is it almost inevitable that it becomes a divorce between the Sixers and Ben this offseason at this point? So I, I, w- I don't want
12: to say inevitable, if only because you know I think the early and initial offers for Ben are not going to be what... What the fans want, what the organization would want if they were going to move him. And I don't think that the Sixers are inclined to trade him just for the sake of trading him. I think they want to trade him as part of a move that moves this organization closer to winning a title. Now, that being said, I think they're aware of the lack of progress that we've seen more so than, you know, you, me, and all the fans are out there, D.K., uh, I think they're aware that you know, at this point it might be better for not just the sixers, but for Ben Simmons to move on to be in an environment where you know every missed free throw or every lack of a shot attempt will be scrutinized the same way that it is here in Philadelphia where the frustration has built up. But you know I, I think if they were to find a suitable offer for Ben Simmons that they're certainly a lot more willing to deal him and consider all possibilities than they were even a year ago.
4: Kyle Newbeck of the Philly Voice joining us now. And we've talked a lot about the value, Kyle, after the the postseason and the the perception, at least, that it's dropped significantly. Do you think that's real? Or do you think the further we move away from the playoffs, the more we get in the off season, that value could kind of creep back up a little bit?
12: So I, I think it's probably somewhere between the two extremes. I, I do think after seeing him fail in – I don't even want to say the same way. It's almost a worse way than we've seen him fail on offense in the playoffs before. I think a lot of teams are going to look at that and say, "Look, this guy can produce in the regular season. He puts up these numbers. He's a great defender, so on and so forth." But when push comes to shove and he plays good teams in the second round, this guy is a a total non-entity, and and that certainly impacts his trade value. On the other hand, like not every team, not every organization in the NBA looks at a guy like Ben Simmons and see, oh well, he can't get us with title. They see someone who might be able to lead, push them towards, you know, a playoff appearance. Somebody that's going to help bring their organization more toward respectability. The million-dollar question is, if the Sixers make a trade with someone like that, like you know, the teams on the fringes of the playoff picture how are they making that trade and making the Sixers better? And that's sort of going to be the tricky part about all these discussions all summer.
4: Yeah, and when you look at that, do you kind of think that Daryl Morey may have to get creative here? Like, if you maybe move Ben to one place and you stockpile yourself with more assets and maybe send them to a team with a player that you actually want to, could you see a scenario in which it goes down that way instead? Yeah, I I
12: think three team scenarios are gonna kinda of have to be on the table right now because so for example, if we're talking about a Portland type situation and maybe eventually they decide, hey, we we're gonna finally move Dane Lillard and he he's on the move and he's he's looking around for where he wants to go next. I don't know that Portland is gonna to want to be in you know, if they trade Lillard for Simmons, that might be you know, like a medium step back rather than the sort of teardown they might want to do and where picks might be more valuable to them and, you know, flexibility moving forward rather than a a $30 million type player like Ben Simmons. Like maybe that's where uh, he becomes valuable. It's hard to see right now. I think as we get closer to the NBA draft, which is when, you know, a lot of these potential deals are going to be up in the air at that point. I think that's when you'll start seeing things come to fruition. I think if Ben is still here after draft night, it it feels like it's a lot less likely that he gets moved uh, this offseason.
4: Kyle Newbeck of the Philly Voice joining us now at Kyle Newbeck is where you can find him on Twitter. And, Kyle, as far as the clutch aspect of all this, you know, obviously a lot of influence around the league, is it important that the Sixers – handle this in a way that that pleases Ben, this process, if he does end up getting moved so they kind of don't harm the relationship with that agency moving forward?
12: I think it's somewhat of a factor. It's ultimately the best deal is, you know, I don't, just for example, ends up being him going to like Oklahoma City. Mm -hmm. I don't think they can worry about whether Ben is happy with that or whether Clutch is happy with that. They ultimately have to do the best deal for the organization. But, you know, we've seen time and time again how much power not just these agencies have, but the individual players now. Like, it is a player-driven league, and these guys like to, you know, put their heads together and find ways and find places to team up. So you certainly don't want to anger a guy that was a, you know, they anointed him the point guard of this team, a max-type player, all that stuff. You don't want to throw him under the bus and to send him to Siberia, essentially. It's just because things haven't worked out here. So I I still think you got to look out for the Sixers first, but certainly all that is a a consideration.
4: Now, as we move away from Ben and look at Joel here, um, obviously his job made a little more difficult because of Ben and his shortcomings. Do you think the Sixers have failed him during his time here as far as surrounding him with the pieces that he needs to succeed, and what level of blame does Joel deserve for some of these playoff failures?
12: So I, I certainly think just on the personal responsibility side, Joel owns a lot of it, right? Like against Toronto, Marcus in, in 2019, Marcus did a great job slowing him down on a lot of those important games. He didn't shoot well in that ultimate game seven. This year against Atlanta, he had a horrible half in one of their collapses. Uh, game seven, he didn't have – I mean, he scored okay, but had, I believe, it was eight turnovers in that game, So, including one of the ones that really put the nail in the coffin for them. So, look, he's got to be better just like anyone else does. But he's never really had other, – other than when Jimmy Butler was here, he's never really had a, a perimeter player or a guard specifically that is making his life easier – on the offensive end of the floor it's a lot of hey throw joel the ball and expect him to figure things out they haven't had a pick and roll player who can just get him layups and dunks at the rim on a regular basis There's that's like steph curry or steph curry steph curry did a pretty good job at that but if seth curry is the guy who's doing that in a second round playoff series that that to me is just not a, a title winning formula for for any team you, as good as Joel was all throughout the year. So they have to do better by him. They have to figure out a formula that works around him. And, you know, it just looks increasingly like that might mean Ben's got to go elsewhere so they can clear the deck around Joel Embiid.
4: Kyle Newbeck, Phil Voice, joining us now. Just a couple more for you here, Kyle. As you look at Joel's future here, he's eligible for the Supermax this summer. Now, many assume he'll sign it. But if if he does not get the kind of help that he feels he should – uh, do you think that's a concern a year or two down the road that he could want out and kind of do what a lot of stars do and, and force his way out if things aren't going the way he wants them to go?
12: I think it's certainly possible. I, I think, you know, my read of the situation is they are just they'll pay Joel what he wants and try to do everything they can to surround him with the talent they believe he needs to win the title. Like I don't think they have any confusion over who their best and most important player is. and. You know, that might be – that's probably a step in the right direction after there was some uncertainty in the front office or at least debate in the front office during the uh, Colangelo era as to who that was. And now that the hierarchy has sort of sorted itself out, I think they're going to sell out to try to get the the type of team he needs around him. Now that, you know, ultimately we see this all the time in the NBA, DK, it still might not end up being enough. Like maybe he just sees a situation elsewhere that – appeals to him more, but everything he's said and done suggests to me that, you know, he he wants to be the guy here, that he can be the guy here, and that I guess the uh, the pressure's on them to, to make a title-winning team around him.
4: And as far as Doc, uh, obviously struggled in that Atlanta series. How concerning is it for his future in Philadelphia, his long history of, of playoff failures, and especially the some of the same mistakes that were made this year seem to be the same mistakes that were made uh, in the past in Los Angeles.
12: Yeah, it's a, it's a huge concern, TK. And and you, you nailed it there where like it'd be one thing if they had lost and Doc made mistakes, but they were mistakes that felt, you know, new or different or, or out of character for him. Like maybe it was just a product of a weird series. All the mistakes that he made were, were things that or mistakes that he's made in the past and stuff that, you know, he should have learned from. Some of them are just very basic errors. Like, you know, he's playing 10 guys in a game seven. It, the very night before in the other Eastern Conference semifinal series, Brooklyn and Milwaukee are both playing essentially seven guys and letting their stars beside the game rather than, you know, the Dwight Howards, the, the Shake Miltons, the Tyrese Monockeys, et cetera, et cetera. Like, that's, that's easy stuff. The way that they screwed up their coverage against, uh, Trey Young in the pick-and-roll to start the series, that's easy stuff. That's stuff that all of us should have expected them to get right, that they got wrong and, and ultimately fall, falls on Doc Rivers' shoulders. So, you know, hopefully he learns from this, but you would have thought he would have learned from last year's flame out in L.A. So, uh, you know, I, I, I get the pessimism to some degree with Doc right now.
4: And just one more, Kyle. Uh, Tobias Harris obviously uh, didn't have a great series either. Um any chance the Sixers look at moving him in the offseason? What do you think his value might be if the Sixers did look to go in that direction?
12: I think they would definitely look to trade him. I just don't know that he has significant value around the league. I, I know he had, a, he had a very good regular season. He had, you know, had some good performances in those playoffs, but ultimately those players are judged by how they come up in the big moments, and he was awful in Game 7 and really the, the back half of that series, I I think it'd be tough to move him, given that, given what he's making with his contract. Like, at at best, you're probably going to swap him for another player who is on a questionable contract themselves. And, you know, maybe they can find somebody that is a better fit from an on-court perspective. Maybe if you switch a guard in for Harris and maybe move Ben into more of a forward position, that helps, you know, things get a little more smooth for their offense, but you know I think it's going to be tough to find uh, an impactful deal that can make uh, getting rid of Tobias.
4: Kyle Newbeck of the Philly Voice does a great job covering the Sixers. What do you got coming up, Kyle, just gearing up for the draft and the off season here?
12: Yeah, just a lot of off season and draft content. Uh, at a certain point, we're going to hit a wall here with how much of that we can do, how many trade rumors we can uh, dig up, but I'm, Nevertheless, I'm very excited to start digging in this week.
4: All right, Kyle. Well, thanks, man. Appreciate you hopping on for a few minutes.
12: Yeah, no problem, TK. Anytime.
4: And that was Kyle Newbeck of the Philly Voice. And uh, some interesting stuff there. I am excited for this offseason. The NBA offseason is the best offseason. I think that's pretty pretty clear. Like, uh, the flurry of activity that always happens in the first couple days of free agency or when you can – legally talk to players and stuff like that. There's always players that demand out of places and whether you feel that is good for the sport or not is kind of a different conversation. But as far as, um, you know, entertainment and things to talk about, uh, it's usually pretty exciting. And certainly the Sixers are going to be in the middle of all of it this off season. When you look at, uh, at Ben Simmons in that situation, When you look at Damian Lillard, if that uh, situation escalates and I guess continues to deteriorate in Portland and he ultimately does make a trade request, um, I'd expect the Sixers to be in the mix there. And when we get back, I do want to talk about a couple other things with the Sixers because there was a report over the weekend that they turned down an offer for Ben Simmons and also some sound I want to get to uh, from Bill Simmons' podcast he was joined by Chris Mannix of Sports Illustrated and um, some encouraging things for the Sixers in terms of Ben Simmons' values. So we'll get to that when we return. 215-592-9494. I'm Tom Kelly, in for Big Daddy Graham, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly with you for another couple segments here before we check in with Al and see uh, what he did over his 4th of July weekend. Time to squeeze in some more calls, though. Before we do that, if you want to get in, 215-592-9494. In the final segment of our show, we will relive some of the best moments, of so, some of the more quotable moments of Jake Arietta. In his time in Philadelphia. Jake Arrieta pitching against the Phillies tonight. And this is a game the Phillies better win. I mean, you can't lose. You can't lose to Jake Arrieta. Uh, You got Nola on the mound. And Aaron Nola has struggled this year, certainly. Um, But uh, this is a game that Aaron Nola absolutely needs to win. If the Phillies, if this offense gets shut down by Arrieta, it would be very frustrating. Especially the night after scoring 13 runs. And it does feel... Like usually, games after they score a lot of runs, they do go silent. So we'll get to that in the last segment of the show, and we will preview the NBA Finals, which gets underway on Tuesday night. Do we have a, an update on Giannis yet for this game? I'd imagine he probably is out game one, but. Yeah. I think they've
5: just
1: continue, been continue, continually listing him as questionable. Now, whether you. I, I can't imagine they're going to announce one way or another. It's probably just like a game time decision. It seems like you're right that there's a very good chance he's out, but they haven't ruled him one way or another.
4: Yeah, so we'll uh, we'll we'll preview that series in the final segment of the show and give you our picks. But I did want to get to a couple other things dealing with the Sixers real quick. Is you know obviously the conversation has focused around Ben Simmons and his future and will continue to um to to center around Ben Simmons who was enjoying. Wimbledon over the weekend with his new girlfriend? Is yeah, he was
1: at Wimbledon. Uh, had a little uh, PDA with his new girlfriend, which uh, got some mixed reviews as you would imagine on on Twitter considering he's been known to live a high-profile lifestyle and not really work on any of his deficiencies. Like, If you're going to yeah. be loud about it, you might as you know.
4: Yeah, I don't know. I, I kind of think that is Overblown? Over, yeah,
1: I, I mean I, I tend to agree with you.
4: I I think that obviously not a good look like I think Ben Simmons if you, he's just like a
1: read the room situation, you know, you kind of just came off a disappointing playoff series, and he he can't be bothered. He's over at Wimbledon. But good for him, you know that he can block it all out
4: well, uh, well, I don't know about that. I, I think you know or he's if,
1: trying to anyway,
4: right. If you care about those kind of optics, you don't do something like that. Um, but I'm also not the guy who believes. Whenever a player is not playing, he needs to be in the gym. Like I, I get
1: that he's got a life.
4: You go through a long season, you do other things, but again, uh, considering the series you just had and the season that came to an end in large part because of your deficiencies, probably not the best idea if you're trying to avoid criticism. Uh, that being said, the conversation is going to continue to center around Ben Simmons and. Uh, reporting over the weekend, and this was from Jason Dumas, who is a sports director, um, at Cron 4 news, um, and, uh, plugged into the Sixers organization. I believe he's, I know he's a local guy. Uh, this uh, station he works at is in the Bay area, but I believe he, he is a, a Philadelphia guy and he reports that the Sixers were offered from the Indiana Pacers malcolm brogdon and a first round pick for ben simmons which they declined now if that report is true um he's also an nba reporter for beat bleacher report um if that report is true i think obviously that's an offer that you turn down like i like malcolm brogdon as a player he's a guy that deals with injuries quite a bit um a first-round pick, I think picks are a little overblown in the NBA, especially a team like Indiana. If they're getting Ben Simmons back, they're going to be a team that would hover around the playoff range kind of in that, in that realm. They were in the play-in tournament this year and ultimately didn't get in. So if that was offered to the Sixers, you rightfully turn that down. And I think when we talk about Ben Simmons' value, I think the conversation of his value kind of deteriorating has been overblown a little bit. And I was listening to Bill Simmons' podcast um over the weekend. And Chris Mannix of Sports Illustrated went on with him uh to talk about a bunch of NBA stuff, including Ben Simmons. And they get the Ben, and if this is true, this is very encouraging. For the Sixers, and it's kind of the way I see it, and I've been talking about this over the last couple of weeks here, ever since Game 7, um, as we really try to evaluate Simmons' value, because it's, it's difficult to judge, because he's a different kind of player, he's not necessarily the kind of guy that fits with every team, but it's... Difficult to judge how he is valued around the league. Here was Chris Mannix on with Bill Simmons talking a little bit about Ben Simmons value at this point.
5: I don't know what his trade value is. What do you think it is? I think it's,
13: I I, I hear from executives all the time that are loving this Ben Simmons trade value is cratered conversation because mm. they hope that Philadelphia believes that I, I think his trade value is actually higher than, than what's being publicly portrayed, but you're going to continue to hear a lot of the negativity around Ben Simmons. In other words, I, I, I think people value him pretty high across the league because I do think there's a belief that someone's going to figure the shooting thing out. Like someone's going to get to him and figure out a way not to make him a reliable three point shooter, but at least a willing three point shooter and adjust his shots with his uh, blessing to make him a reasonably reliable free throw shooter. I mean, that's all we're really talking about here. Like we're not talking about Ben becoming, you know, Chris Middleton. Like we're, we're talking about him just being willing to be able to shoot like 30 something percent from three point range, low thirties from three points, shooting 70 something percent from the free throw. And he does that. And all his other positives are just accentuated. Like his ability to lock you lock down like four positions, the human fast break that he is like, I, I, I think there are teams put it this way. There are teams absolutely salivating at the chance to get a hold of Ben Simmons and try to fix the things that Philadelphia couldn't. Maybe it's impossible, but there are teams
4: really chomping at the bit to do that. And that makes sense. And it's kind of the way I felt about it, that teams around the league have high opinions of themselves, whether it's GMs, front offices, coaches, and they feel, they see a guy like Ben Simmons and they see what, what a lot of us have seen and what, The people who still support Ben Simmons see, which is this immense amount of talent. And if you can just harness it and he can improve the shooting, you can have potentially a top 10, top five player in the league. I felt that way about Ben Simmons. I don't feel that way anymore. And regardless, even if that was true and that you still feel like you could get that out of him, the Sixers are in a position where they don't have the luxury to wait. And I think that's why it would make sense for Ben Simmons to go to a team with a long-term view, a team that is kind of rebuilding because it's not as incumbent on him to know how to need to do these things immediately here. The Sixers have Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid's in his prime right now. Joel Embiid, you don't know how healthy he's going to be for the remainder of his career. And while he's here, while he is in the prime of his career, The Sixers need to go for championships, like, right now in the next two to three years. This is your window, and you don't have the time to wait for Ben Simmons. And it makes sense that teams would continue to say this, and it's kind of like, as as Mannix said there, this, this two sides of a coin thing, where teams are going to continue to float out news to media members, that, yeah, Ben Simmons' value is at an all-time low because they want Daryl Morey to buy into that. Now, in the past, this would worry me if somebody else was running the Sixers organization because maybe they would buy into that. Daryl Morey's not a dumb guy. Daryl Morey knows what he's doing, and he knows the kind of asset that he has. And I do think the more we move away from what just happened and the emotion of all of it, get into the offseason that value will creep back up. And even though we might be hearing these things about how low Ben Simmons' value is, that might not be the reality of the situation. Because as he said, some teams are out there salivating at the opportunity to get Ben Simmons. And not just the talent level, but this is where his contract status really plays to the Sixers' benefit. Here's both Bill Simmons, Chris Maddox talking about uh, Simmons' contract, how that plays into it. How much do you, is...
5: I know he's under contract for a while, but I wonder how much is his agent dictating where he goes and teams being afraid, like, if I trade for him and he's not unhappy and I'm giving up all this stuff, like, why would I do that? Yeah. Because we saw, we saw Clutch do that with Anthony Davis where they're like, he's going to the Lakers. Like, you can trade for him, but he's still going to go there in a year. And they just put this cloud over any possibility.
13: But there was leverage there, right? Like, Davis yes. could walk in a year. That's why, like when the Boston stuff came up, like you can trade for him, but he's going to hit for agency the following year. Ben Simmons can't walk till 2025. So you've got, you've got some, some wiggle room there to, to figure
4: it out. And yeah, I think that's something that does help because you don't have to worry about Ben Simmons. Like um, they, they talked about the Anthony Davis uh, comparison where it's the same agency, same agent with rich Paul and how Anthony Davis did kind of dictate those conversations where new Orleans was going to trade him and he basically said, okay, well, if you trade for Anthony Davis, he's just going to go sign with the Lakers in free agency. So it doesn't make sense for you to give up all these assets and kind of push himself to Lakers. Ben Simmons isn't in that same kind of situation because he's not coming up on free agency. He does have four years left on his contract. So whoever trades for him, has certainty that they will have the opportunity to work with the, with with him on his deficiencies, and he can't just immediately bolt. Uh, and that will help the Sixers get more in return, ultimately. Um, the other aspect of this is who would the Sixers get in return? What could they get in return? And the name that we have heard and the name we'll continue to hear, and more reports out there that the Sixers are indeed zeroing in on Damian Lillard, and it makes a lot of sense. Damian Lillard is the guy that ultimately you would like to get. I think he's the perfect fit with Embiid and would help in a, a number of different ways. Um, but here was uh, more from Bill Simmons and Chris Maddox on whether Damian Lillard would be open and in in turn want to come to Philadelphia if he had a pick of some destinations. Well, I was thinking ours? like... Like
5: basically, a three-teamer where the picks yeah, yeah, go yeah. to Portland, Lillard goes to Philly, something like that. Yeah. yeah I, yeah. I, I got to be honest, though. I said this the other day. I don't, if I'm Lillard, I would be worried about going to Philly, having them gut their team to trade for me. And then basically, my title chances are tied to Embiid, who gets hurt every year. That would make me nervous. Yeah. But the,
13: the, you got to think, like, Dame just kind of looking around, being like, man, we couldn't beat Denver this year. Like, Denver right. got smoked by Phoenix, and we couldn't beat them. Like six games, I had 33 points and a half. We were down by 12 in that game. Like he's got to be looking around at halftime. He's got to be looking around saying it's not happening in Portland. So as big a you risk as Embiid's injury is, Like I, I got to believe he'd embrace that rather than staying in the same situation he's in.
4: And I think all these things work to the Sixers' advantage. And the one that really is interesting is the Simmons uh, value conversation. I do think that makes sense that you'll hear a lot about how low his value is because that's what teams want out there because that's what they want the Sixers to believe um, but I, I don't think that's actually reality. I think that his value is a lot higher than we have been kind of projecting and giving it credit for and ultimately I think uh, it's something that, that I trust Darryl Morio get good return whether that's Lillard, whether it's somebody else um, but it's going to Going to be interesting to monitor over the next couple weeks. And really, the draft is the point where you got to expect something to be done by then. If Ben Simmons is still here after draft night, uh, it's going to be a lot harder to move him at that point. 215-592-9494. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. When we get back, we'll talk about the Phillies taking on Jake Arrieta, uh, who is not having a very good season for the Cubs this year. Uh, We'll discuss that. We'll preview tonight's Phillies game and preview the NBA Finals when we return. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly. As we wrap up the show here, I will be back on the next two nights on the overnights. So, um we will see how the Phillies fare in this series out at Wrigley Field on uh well this week have you ever been to Wrigley Field Dan I've never I've never been out there I would like to go at some
1: point I have never been it's 100 percent. it's like at the top of the sports bucket list for me okay like at the absolute I got to Fenway for the first time a few years ago their Lambeau Field and I'm not sure if there's many other venues that would rank higher than those two places hmm.
4: All right. Well, yeah, I would like to get out there. It looks like a cool place to watch a game. Um, but uh, the Phillies taking on the Cubs again tonight after a thirteen to three victory in Game One, uh, an impressive win on a night they needed it. They needed uh, to bounce back after a, an ugly performance on Sunday. Um, but they get two of three from the Padres over the weekend. Get the first one of a four game set here, and now the Phillies. Will be taking on a former, um, well, legend. I don't know why that word came to mind. A le- legendary in terms of maybe some of his, some of his comments. His a legendary guy in terms of having a bad attitude. But the Phillies taking on Jake Arrieta on Tuesday night, and Jake Arrieta ranks pretty highly on my least favorite Philadelphia athletes. Of all time. Like Jason Babbin is a guy that's up there who people just uh, don't like. Um, Papel Bond uh, and Arietta's on that n- mix as far as just like jerks that have come through this city. And with Arietta, one of the things that always bothered me was his excuse making. He'd always have a reason for why he was not pitching well. Or why things weren't going his way, and he used one earlier this week, earlier this year as well. Here's a few weeks ago when Jake Arrieta was uh, going into a game, and he was talking afterwards about, you know, he, he was he was pitching, uh, he was pitching on, on, while he was being sick.
14: You know, before before the game, um, you know, I, I was I was pretty sick. You know, I, uh, apparently what I what I had for lunch today made me made me pretty sick um through before the game and then a few times after I came out of the game um was really weak uh tried to try to try to go out there and do what I could um I well, wasn't able to uh, unfortunately and, you know put, put us in a big hole uh we, we battled back and, and uh got with two and then they extended the lead a little bit but um yeah it was just wasn't wasn't a good night
4: and that was like standard operating procedure from Jake Arietta where he'd make excuses and he'd always he'd also make it like what a warrior he was for trying to go out and do his job. Like what like he was doing something that was commendable when he's making what was he making here? Like twenty five million, twenty
1: five million dollars a year.
4: Yeah. And he goes out there and every time he acts like he's some warrior, um but he'd always have an excuse uh, and I went back and I found some of the best, like, Jake Arietta excuses. Some of the, the best Jake Arrieta uh, clips of him doing something like this. Here was Jake Arietta a few years ago. I believe having a, an exchange with, with uh, Jim Salisbury.
14: The pain is just something you get used to. What kind
8: of pain are we talking? Are we talking ice pick or toothache?
14: I mean, it's it's not good. It's not good.
6: No, no, no. no, no better than, nothing better than that. I mean, it's like, like throbbing. Have
14: you ever pitched before? so it's it's hard it's hard to relate good thing is it's not a ligament it's not a a serious issue it's something that i can pitch with uh, or else we wouldn't be having this conversation
4: i think that was when he was dealing with the bone spurs in his arm where he made a huge deal about that that uh, he was pitching with bone spurs and he was going to try to do what he could but you know, it, it was it was the perfect thing for him, too, because he had the built in excuse where if he pitches well, he's a warrior. If he pitches poorly, that's uh, the it's the arm. It's, he's, you're lucky you're getting me to go out there at all.
1: Oh, yeah. Who is louder about like how commendable their efforts are him? It's a little different, but him or Jimmy Butler?
4: Oh, no, it's, it's Arietta. I mean, Jimmy Butler's not that. At least Jimmy Butler produces. Like, well, Jake... well, that's
1: the worst part about Arietta is that he would say this stuff and he wasn't even good. No. Like, Papelbine at least was good, but he was annoying. Arietta sucked and was annoying.
4: Yeah, he was terrible. Here was more from Jake Arietta after another performance.
14: The more pitches I throw, the, the more difficult it becomes.
4: There's going to be days where you know, I'll be able to get
14: deeper than I went today. Just the way the game was playing out, we're looking for some more offense. We had an, a situation, I think it was first and second, nobody out. That's a good time to, to pinch hit Miller. If that might not have been the situation, I might have gone one more. I was grinding there at the end. Five might have been the most I, I could give us today.
4: Five innings might have been the most he'd give us. Here's more from Marietta.
14: It's going to be a pretty consistent theme. It's, it's going to be painful, but the good thing is it's, I'm not going to injure it any further. It is what it is. We'll get it taken out when the time's right, but I can do what I did today for us a lot, and, and sometimes it's going to be even better.
4: And uh, he, here's one more uh, excuse from Jake Arietta.
2: You use the word physically, are you healthy?
5: You know, overall, I feel all right, but um,
14: we'll see Overall, I feel pretty good. We'll, we'll see in the next couple of days.
7: Do you have an exam or
4: something scheduled?
14: No. We'll, uh, I think we'll have a better idea over, over the next couple of days where I'm at.
4: I'm just so happy he's not here anymore, and we don't have to we don't have to watch him, and we don't have to listen to him uh, more than anything. And, and like I remember back in 2018, like when he ripped Scott Kingery for not being in the right position. On a ground ball, and he—he he was just such a jerk. Um, there was that. Was that the same game in San Francisco
1: that he ripped the whole team for not hitting when he hit a home run? I don't remember. That was my personal favorite. He literally hits a home run and then rips the entire team for not hitting behind him. That was like an all-time area at a moment. It was phenomenal. Just epitomizes what he's all about, which is just me first. When I'm actually any good, I'm gonna let you know about it. And when I'm mediocre, I'm gonna make an excuse for why I was mediocre.
4: Yeah. So that that was Jake Arietta and uh we'll see hopefully the Phillies can uh beat up on him tonight going up against Aaron. I think they will. I like the Phillies tonight. Um I I think what's Arietta? Let's guess Arietta's line here. I think he goes I'll give him 4 and 2 thirds He gives up like four runs. Gives, gives up I'll I'll say I'll say it's a better Arietta outing. I'll say he gives up three runs uh on you know, five hits, something like
1: that. And how many, w- included in the pitching line, how many excuses in the post-game press conference?
4: Pl- I don't know. I think he'll be pleased with himself.
1: It's four and two-thirds, I really pitched well. He'll take a victory lap of why he did everything he could to help the Cubs win. If the Phillies, this Phillies team has a pulse, they will win this game just on pure adrenaline because they're facing Jake Arrieta. This, this has the feeling of a game that's bigger than one of 162. Maybe it's just us. I know a number of these guys didn't play with Arrieta. Maybe don't have the same dislike that, you and I have for him, but if this team has a pulse, just please, I'm begging
4: you to win this game. Yeah, I mean, they should win this game. I mean, Arata stinks, but Nola has been inconsistent, so hopefully Aaron Nola can pitch well tonight, and the Phils can knock off the Cubs, but uh, I did want to real quick preview the NBA Finals, as that gets started tonight with the Suns and Bucks, and one of the more I would say unlikely finals. If you had said before the year started, the Suns would be in the finals. Uh, You could have gotten pretty good odds on that. Um, They are are a really good team this year. And um, Chris Paul is a big part of the reason why. And it's interesting because Chris Paul was going to get traded in the offseason. Oklahoma City um, have brought him in for a year. I I think their intention was not to even play him really, but to kind of bring him in. They were flipping him for Westbrook and then move him onto a contender. And Chris Paul said, no, I, I I'm here. I want to play and did a great job in Oklahoma city, got them to the playoffs. Um, and in many ways, I thought that was his most impressive year. And in the offseason, he was pretty much given the opportunity by the thunder to pick where he wanted to go. And they didn't really care about the return. They were getting back. They're rebuilding. They're looking to acquire picks. And, Maybe a little bit of an indictment on the Sixers, because the Sixers did try to trade for him. They were trying to trade for Chris Paul, and in the end, he chose Phoenix instead. Here was Chris Paul on why he decided uh, he would have rather played in Phoenix than anywhere else.
5: What is it about these guys? What is it about these this team that you said, Phoenix, I want Phoenix?
4: It was a lot of things. Willie Green, my brother,
10: James Jones. We worked at the union together. Coach Monty, I played for him already. But the big reason was the light-skinned guy right here, number one, Devin Booker. Devin Booker, he is a dog. Go get it, Booker.
4: And it turned out to be the right choice to go one play with Devin Booker, who's had a tremendous tremendous season this year um, for the Phoenix Suns. And they're a pretty well-rounded team. I like Phoenix a lot. Um, They're just deep. I mean, DeAndre Ayton has improved dramatically. Uh, they have a veteran guy like Jay Crowder who has uh, added a lot of toughness and a lot of leadership to that team. Uh, a really strong bench as well. They're taking on the Bucks. The status of Giannis uncertain, at least to start the series. Game one, not sure if he's going to be playing yet. I'd assume he'll definitely play in the series, I would not expect him to play in game one.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, just a little amendment. So he's actually, as of last night, Shams downgraded him to doubtful. So unlikely he goes in game
4: one. Yeah, I don't think he's going to go in game one. Uh, the line tonight, I believe, is at, it's at six and a half now. Um, the Phoenix Suns are favored in this one. I would take Phoenix to cover the six and a half. The over unders at 218. I actually kind of like the over there for game one. Um, so I like Phoenix in Game One, and I'll take the Suns in five for the series. I would say, I, I'd still even if Giannis was good to go, I'd still take Phoenix. I'd say Phoenix in six, but with him and his uh, injury status uncertain, I'll take I'll take Phoenix in five.
1: I I like Phoenix actually in six anyway. I would I would hope Giannis just for basketball entertainment purposes can get back quick here. I think the Bucks find a way to win too, but I know I like the Suns in this series. They've been my pick out of the West for a while. I think you and I were both kind of on or of the belief that whoever won that Suns Lakers series back in the Mm -hmm. first round, that that in many ways was the de facto Western conference finals turned out to be correct. And this Suns team, it's not very often that you have a team that's this likable in the finals, like usually superstars are disliked for one reason or another. But I think everyone, I get the sense that everyone nationally is kind of pulling for the Suns team.
4: Yeah, I mean it's going to be interesting. I I think I I also hope that that Giannis is able to get back and at least play a little bit in this series, make it interesting. But yeah, I like the Suns of five. Uh, should be fun. We'll see how it ends up playing out. Uh, thank you to Dan Wilson for producing the show. I'll be back on tomorrow. Next up, we'll talk to Al for the overlap show.